Introducing the Mel Kuyper to my Todd McShay, the Harold Reynolds to my Matt Vaskersian, the Jerry Maguire to my Rod Tidwell. He is my ambassador of Quan. He is Glenn Clark. Good morning. It's Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. He's Paul. Happy Tuesday. It's unpleasant outside. I got a game that I got a I got a Loyola Cross this afternoon in the Patriot League tournament against Bucknell. It's not. Is it supposed to get worse or is it supposed to get better? What's the? I thought the weather was supposed to be okay today. Okay, so this is just like a, a unpleasant morning. This isn't like a harbinger of of misery or anything along those lines. What time is your game? Three o'clock. Three o'clock. It's supposed to be partly cloudy, sixty-nine degrees, and one percent chance of rain. Love that. That's not, is the sun coming out at any point or? It looks like there's sunshine there. Well, look at that. Look at that. That sounds lovely. Come over and join us at Ridley Athletic Complex this afternoon. A lot to do on the program today. Coming up in uh, just a bit, we will chat with Chris Sims, get some further thoughts on the uh, Ravens, the NFL draft. Also later on this morning, Patrick Stevens joins us, as he does every Tuesday. We'll talk about Jameer Young. We'll talk about uh, Conference Championship Weekend and what's at stake going into Selection Sunday in uh, the lacrosse world and also coming up, we are going to chat with Josh Charles, of course, our buddy and star of stage and screen. He is, of course, playing uh, Hersel in um, We Own This City, which is airing right now on HBO. The second episode aired last night. He is all up in that Baltimore accent and playing such a completely unrepentant asshole. And I am convinced that he's having the time of his life. He uh, also announced the Ravens' third-round pick out in Vegas last week, so that was fun. We will chat with our buddy Josh Charles about all of that. That's what's coming up on a Tuesday edition of GCR. Uh, today's show is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. At Li- oh, and, and Simply the Bets is coming up as well. We'll get to that. It's brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. Of course, the FanDuel Sportsbook is the place to be for all of the upcoming fights like UFC 274 this Saturday night. Javante Davis getting back in action later on this month. Baltimore's own Javante Tank Davis taking on Orlando Romero on May 28th. You want to watch those fights? You want to be in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in a hotel? You can reserve your spot by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. And then while you're there, use their 61 self-service kiosks to get all of your bets in. Of course, every night during the playoffs for both basketball and hockey, it's the best place to be. So much going on in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and the Hotel. You're going to want to be there. Where you maybe didn't want to be last night was Oriole Park at Camden Yards because they, you know, the Orioles managed only one run and falling to the Twins 2-1 to open up that four-game set. So all of that uh, goodwill that was built up by taking two out of three from the Red Sox <laughs> kind of disappeared. Tell us if any of it mattered. He is our one-minute man. He is Paul Valley. Well, as we talked about yesterday, the Orioles had a nine-run outburst on Sunday against the Red Sox, and you were hoping they meant the bats were warming up. <laughs> nope. They get their season-low four hits yesterday. They score one run. And the sad thing is they were squaring up Chris Paddock early, hitting lots of line drives just right at 
fielders, and unfortunately it didn't translate to any runs. Uh, we had the first victim of Elrod's corner last night as Rofnetto Dorr hit a shot into left center field where the outfielder ran into the corner. The ball bounced away. Yeah, that was a little uncomfortable looking. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And, Go ahead. and Odor ended up on third base with a triple scored on the Ramona Ria sack fly, and that was the extent of the scoring for the Orioles. The good news is that Tyler Wells had uh, backed up a, a really good start his last outing with another really good start, going five innings, allowing just uh, the one run. Uh, looked really good. Yes, it was really efficient early 13 pitches through the first two innings. Retired the first eight, nine batters in order yesterday. So it was a really nice outing for Tyler Wells. Just the bat is still dead. Look, um, th this was one of those like games that by the time it ended, I don't know if anybody who was even there could remember anything that happened about it. It was a heinously an uneventful game. As you brought up, Nick Gordon runs into the, the jut in left center field. I, I am not bleeding heart about that issue like I get a wall's a wall, and you kind of got to be aware of where it is, and that there are other juts in baseball, but it doesn't make it okay. Th this is embarrassing, and we don't want to say it because we don't like using those words and describing something that our team does, but this is embarrassing. And just because there are juts in other ballparks, not quite like this, but there are plenty of other juts and outfield walls and ballparks. Just because they exist doesn't make it less embarrassing. It's embarrassing for baseball that we can't get together and say, hey, by the way, if you put a wall up, you don't suddenly have it go at a 90-degree angle in the middle of the field. It's embarrassing that Major League Baseball can't get together and say, hey, maybe we should fix this. Hey, maybe this isn't great. And if you want to have it turn... If you want to have a wall that's not completely, obviously it can't be rounded all the way around. I mean, I guess it could, but it's not likely to be rounded anywhere. If you want to have it turn, fine, but don't present something that creates this. It's embarrassing. Thankfully, Nick Gordon's okay. And I get it. The outfielders, all of them have to be aware of where they're playing and what's out there and be prepared for that. But that doesn't make it something that we need to say is is okay or acceptable throughout baseball. It's nuts. It's nuts that there's just suddenly you're in the middle of playing and trying to catch a foul ball or fly ball, and all of a sudden you run into an effing wall. That's crazy. Now I know it can happen if you're trying to make an over your shoulder catch in center field. You can run into a wall the same way. It's not quite the same. It's been embarrassing from day one. It looks embarrassing. Everything about this. You want to move the wall back? Fine. Move the wall back. But fix this. And the answer of, well, it was going to require doing a lot of dramatic things and moving the bullpens, then you can't move the wall back until you figure out how that works. You want to move the wall back? Gravy. Have a plan for all of this. All of it. So that this doesn't exist. Nick Gordon won't be the last. And hopefully, like Nick Gordon apparently was fine. And hopefully everyone else will be too. I'm not rooting for anyone to be hurt by this wall. But I'm rooting for the Orioles to fix it. To say this is nonsense. This is Bush League. And it was Bush League when it was announced. It looks embarrassing. Moving the wall back, fine. Whatever. I get it. You can argue it's, it's working, right? The RAs are better. This is not okay.
and it never was, and it needed to be addressed immediately. And the first time I saw an image of it, I said, this can't be right. You can't just be doing this. You can't just be suddenly leaving a wall hanging out in the middle of left center field. That can't be the answer. There's just no way. And they were like, well, no, that's exactly what we're doing. Why couldn't they have just curved that's, that corner? Like, it, it, curve it and you're okay. Uh, there's a million things you could do. There's a million things you could do. But this is what they did. And it's literally crap. And we have to call it out. And they could be mad and they could not, whatever they want to do. But this is Bush League. This is an embarrassment. And just because somebody goes online and says, well, how do you like right field in Pittsburgh? I don't, I don't care. I don't do radio in Pittsburgh. If I did, I, there'd be a lot of things. I probably wouldn't love the size of Kenny Pickett's hands either. Not my concern here. Not where we work. In Baltimore, this is an embarrassment. That being said, there's nothing else that stands out about the game in any way. It was a game that happened and, and we can move on from. It was the 19th time in 23 games an Orioles starter has given up three runs or less, which is nice. And it was the Say that again. It was the 19th time in 23 games this year that an Orioles starter has given up three runs or less. Well, that's, that's nice. That's surprising. I mean, I don't think we would have bet that coming into the season. Um, it's kind of what it is. I need to double check that we're still live because I'm I'm getting messages that we are no longer that our, our video is it's definitely down on Facebook for sure down on Facebook we got to get it back so we need to end the uh, the broadcast as is and we will start a new one on uh, both um, YouTube and on Facebook don't know what the story is on that but apologies we will uh, get that fixed here very quickly. Orioles continue their series against the Twins a little bit later on this evening. Again, provided the weather holds up, and I'm being told that it will, so that's the good news. Also, last night, uh, the Heat took game one in the east. The Suns took game one in the west. Got a little hairy for me there at the end of the game. Didn't love that. Didn't love it. But that's the way it went. The NHL uh, playoffs got underway as well. Busy night in playoff action. All right, a couple things I need to cover. Um, oh, and yes, John, I'm with you. Uh, we Own the City is tremendous. I, I actually feel bad. I should probably be watching it live with the rest of you guys, too, because I've already watched the entire series. I It actually sometimes takes me a minute to remember what happened in which episode. Uh, just sort of, the, sort of the way that it goes. I'll do my best to, to remember to watch live as well as the show unfolds. Also, why is it so bloody hot in this studio? What is going on here? It is very hot. It is here. ungodly hot in the studio today. What is happening? Ca oh, Cass, by the way, why isn't your what, what happened there? Can you put that back on your mic, please? We're all over the place. Yeah, though. a lot going on today. Papa Cass is in this morning. Why is it so? Is it your fault that it's so hot? Um, I've yeah, got a funny feeling it might I be. I've got a funny feeling that it might be. It is unbearable. I'm feeling fine. There's a fan right. Yeah, but it's a tiny ass fan because we never actually fit. We we had this giant fan that stopped working. <laughs> John Colson. Said, hey, man, can you get me a new fan? He's like, yeah, no problem. This is what he got. And then I just sort of didn't deal with it after that. I was like, okay. And just sort of, because it wasn't a 1,000 degrees in the studio. Oh, my God. I can feel the sweat coming off of me right now. It's miserable in the studio today. Um, 
Cass, by the way, delivered a home run presentation at her internship showcase last Friday. It was amazing. I mean, it was phenomenal. Did you fire up a new video for us? I did. It. it, it, I, not, it not worried about why, why it happened. Just okay. do we have a new bro- a new broadcast running. Thank you. That's what I need to know. Very good. We will. Uh, we will share that one out instead. Okay. From uh, de- mm-hmm. let me let me find this. We we we. Unfortunately, it does say we have a guest coming on today named Joe J O H Charles. Don't know who that is, but that's okay. Is Joe J O H? It's what it says. Ja, maybe. Maybe is it is it Ja Rule? No, it's, uh, we'll, we will get. It's fine. It's fine. Life will go on. Nothing we can do about it at this point. Nothing we can do about it. Not a not our finest hour. Not our. I we definitely lost. know his name is Josh. Charles. I believe that you do. And his it name's just, Josh Charles in the description. It no, it's not. Oh, it might be in the description. Sorry, in the title, it definitely says J O H Charles. That's definitely a thing. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I must have missed yeah, the S. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, that's the case. I don't know what else the case could be exactly. I that's could start a new video for a third nope, time. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope. We'll just go with this. That's what we're doing. Um, from uh, David. David said, Glenn, enjoyed your conversation with Peter King yesterday. It was great insight as to the way that Ravens think. My question as the weekend unfolded, are you as convinced as Rita is that the plan for the Ravens was to swap the pick and then take a receiver with their first pick? Are you as convinced that what the other teams did really screwed them up with four picks or four wide receivers going off the board before the 14th pick? I ask these questions because I'm trying to figure out exactly where they find themselves in the context of the question you asked yesterday of measuring the draft versus measuring whether they're a Super Bowl contender. Um, am I convinced of that? No, not at all. I'm not remotely convinced of that. It would be very unlike the Ravens to center in on any one position with that pick. Now, if their thought was that they expected the draft to play out a certain way and that a top wide receiver would be available with that pick, that would make some sense. And then maybe things didn't play out the way they expected it to. I don't know. I'm not convinced. I understand the theory and I understand the reasoning for the theory. Why work out a deal so far ahead of time and then do nothing at wide receiver in free agency. As Mike Golick pointed out yesterday, like those of you that are sitting around hoping for the Ravens to trade for DK Metcalf or whatever they're going to do, they had plenty of time to try to be aggressive with the wide receiver position. So why keep a trade so secretive if it wasn't because you wanted a wide receiver? You could have just announced the trade a month and a half ago if you weren't hell-bent on getting a receiver with the first pick. And that's fair. It... Truly, it is. It's truly fair. Now, maybe they want to know a little bit more about what might be available with the 23rd pick. They're doing their own recon, and they're trying to get a feel for what they think other teams are going to do. So maybe they wanted to get a bit more of a feel of what other teams were thinking about for the 23rd pick without knowing that it would be the Ravens that would be selecting there. And as it turns out, they ended up selecting at 25. But the question of why they felt the need to keep this so secretive for so long if they weren't going to take a wide receiver early on, is fair. It's a fair question. It's not definitive proof that they misfired here, 
that they thought things were going to go a certain way and they didn't, but it's a fair question. Why? Other trades, uh, teams announced other trades. Not everyone was so fearful of people knowing what it is that they intended to do. The Chiefs and Dolphins executed a trade. The Packers and the Raiders executed a trade. Other teams announced trades. Why did the Ravens work out a trade and not announce it? Was it a favor to the Cardinals because the Cardinals knew that something was pending with DeAndre Hopkins and they didn't want the trade to be known until that became public? I don't know. And again, I don't have these answers. I don't think it's a certainty that the answer is the Ravens were hiding the trade because they were definitely going to take a wide receiver with the 14th pick. The theory is reasonable. It's reasonable. We'll do this. We'll get whatever is the best receiver that's sitting there at 14 of this group. If it's Alave, we'll take Alave. If it's Jamison Williams, we'll take Jamison Williams. Whoever it is, we'll take that guy. We'll feel good about that. And suddenly all four of them go off the board, and the Ravens are like, well, we like Jahan Dotson, but not... Sorry, I didn't realize your foot was there, Cass. Not to the point of being the 14th pick. We're not going to do that. We don't like him that much. All reasonable questions and all questions I can't give definitive answers to, and the Ravens aren't going to give us definitive answers to them. But was it a guarantee they were going to take a receiver with the 14th pick? I don't think so. And the DeAndre Hopkins thing is complicating. You have to imagine the Cardinals have known about this for some time, and there was a process that was unfolding, and that factored into their decision. So if we're to believe the timeline of when the Cardinals worked out the Hollywood Brown trade, then we know they've known about it for a very long time. So perhaps they also still wanted to be in the wide receiver market in the draft and didn't want teams to know that. But if they had a Hollywood Brown deal worked out, perhaps teams... I I don't know why they would have thought they would have been in the wide receiver market. I I don't know why so secretive. I am struggling with that. I am struggling with why so secretive. Why the need to hold on this long? Was it to protect the DeAndre Hopkins thing? Was it really a thing for the Cardinals where if DeAndre Hopkins were to win on appeal, he they wouldn't want anyone to know that was ever a time where they thought that this could have been an issue? Why so secretive? Reasonable question. Not one that we can get a direct answer to. And from Jeff. Jeff says, sorry, I'm, I'm losing these things. All right, uh, Jeff says, Glenn, as far as your question yesterday... And I apologize, I wasn't listening live. I listened later on in the day. That's fine, Jeff. We appreciate it nonetheless. I feel like the Ravens have put themselves right in the mix of teams immediately after the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bengals. I feel like everyone after that is in kind of a crapshoot in the AFC. To your point that this might ultimately come down to whoever is the healthiest, I think that's probably the case. The idea that all of these rosters are going to hold up as is does not seem to make a whole lot of sense. And as much as I like some of the players on each individual roster, I think what we're really saying is that we think that Josh Hill, Joe Burrow, and Patrick Mahomes are the three best quarterbacks in the moment at the AFC. So as long as those guys are healthy, we're showing deference to those teams. But bear in mind that a year ago, we didn't feel that way about Burrow, and that just a couple of years ago, we did feel that way about Lamar Jackson. 
Um, it's an interesting way of looking at things. I would probably agree that I think that right now there's probably a separation between those three teams that I believe are the three best teams in the AFC. In whatever order, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, I think are the three best teams in the AFC for various reasons. But it starts with the quarterbacks. I think those teams, in judging, if I was doing a stupid power rankings right now, and I'll do plenty of them, and they'll be just as stupid when I do them, if I was doing a power rankings right now, those would be my three top teams in the AFC. And your point is correct, probably because uniquely they have the three best quarterbacks, the three most consistent quarterbacks last year. I like Justin Herbert a lot too, don't get me wrong, and I think Russell Wilson could still be really good. But the most consistent quarterbacks in the AFC a year ago were those three guys. And so the deference would be showed to them to start the season, which doesn't mean that by the end of the year, Justin Herbert couldn't prove himself to be the best of that group. Or that Patrick Mahomes doesn't take a bit of a step back without Tyreek Hill. I like Sky Moore. I think he's a player. I, I think they've got guys besides Travis Kelsey. I, I think that we're really underselling how critical Tyreek Hill was to that offense, which doesn't mean I think they're going to be bad. I just think it could bring them a little bit closer to the rest of the pack. I do think those are my top three teams. But, yeah, I don't think the Ravens are drastically far behind that. I think they're in the mix behind those top three teams. I think they're in the conversation behind those top three teams in the AFC. And to the point that any one of those quarterbacks could get hurt or any of those teams could go through some sort of critical injury that changes the course of things, 100%. The Bengals lose Jamar Chase. They're a completely different team. They're still good. They still have a really good quarterback. They still have other good pass catchers. But Jamar Chase is a game changer. They lose Jamar Chase. They're not the same team. The Bills were to lose Stephon Diggs. They're not the same team. I love Gabriel Davis. I think he's incredible. But Stefan Diggs is a game changer. If those two teams keep quarterback and wide receiver on the field all season, I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody to beat them. The Chiefs are always very difficult to beat, of course. So, yeah, I think that's probably about right. I don't think the Ravens got themselves any closer to being one of the top three teams in the AFC. Of course, it doesn't matter if you're a top three team before the season begins. I get it. I'm aware. And I don't know if they could. Short of them being the team that traded for A.J. Brown, right? I don't know if there was a way this weekend, if the point is that because those three, guys, those three teams we identify based on the quarterbacks and how they played a year ago, I don't know if the Ravens could have gotten any closer this weekend. I think closing the gap might require just us seeing Lamar Jackson look like Lamar Jackson again. But that's the only way that we can feel that. We still have to remember that the last thing we saw of him was a four-game sample size of him badly struggling against the Blitz. So if Lamar Jackson comes out to start this season, it looks like the Lamar Jackson we saw against the Colts, or like 2019 Lamar Jackson because they are overwhelming teams again with the run, then we might feel far different about where this team stacks up with teams like the Bengals and the Chiefs and the Bills as the season gets underway. I think that's probably about right. We're going to talk more about that, where the Ravens are amongst the top teams in the AFC and 
Just more about the fallout from this weekend in the NFL Draft. Chris Sims is going to join us here in just one minute. Today's show is brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Um, I'm sorry. There are people that are trying to fight with me. Peter King, after he did our show yesterday, he did a podcast where he talked about um, the fact that the Ravens essentially swapped Hollywood Brown, who was once the 25th pick, for a 25th pick. He was like, it's like buying a car for $50,000 and three years later selling it for $50,000. And the point is is lost a little bit. It's not exactly like that, no. It We can say the Ravens did well without trying to pretend like they swapped the first-round pick for a first-round pick. They switched a fourth-round pick for a third-round pick is what they did. And that's fine. I still think they did well. Honestly, given the circumstances, they believed they had to trade Hollywood Brown. I think the Ravens did well for all of that, but we don't have to go beyond that. And when we say things like, well, the Ravens traded Hollywood Brown for a first-round pick, no, they didn't. They traded Hollywood Brown on a third-round pick for a first-round pick, and then they used that and went and recouped a fourth-round pick. So they swapped a fourth-round pick for a third-round pick. Now, that's okay. That's really good, but it's not dead on. And the other side of it is that now they don't have Hollywood Brown. And you can praise the Ravens all you want and say, hey, they did very well, but the analogy that Peter King used leaves out the part where you need a car and all that's left on the lot are Ford Tempos. Having $54,000 back doesn't help if you don't have anything to spend that money on. And it's the part of this conversation that, I get it, we all want to feel pretty, we all want to believe that our team did very well, Trust me, you're very pretty. Your mother's very proud of you. We all love you a great deal, but we have to acknowledge that there is a cost to these things. It's not just, wow, the Ravens got one over on everybody again. They did well, given the circumstances, but they don't have a second wide receiver. And their number one wide receiver, we all believe is capable of being it, but we have no proof of that. That's a huge cost massive, monstrous cost of making a move like this that you can't define when you try to say, look how well they did. And when you talk about this, you have to reference that. It's not irrelevant. You don't, as I keep saying, you don't determine who wins a Super Bowl by who recouped the best trade value for a player. They don't have a second receiver. That matters. Talk about it more with Chris Sims next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGAMBLER. 
gamblinghelp.org. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le champion. Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point. Boulevard. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com stay tuned your chance to win a million dollars is coming up probably not from us you're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. All right, back in here on GCR. Don't forget, coming up this morning at 1140, Simply the Bets, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. We will uh, de- dive further into the playoff action and thinking about some big fights this month. All that coming up this morning, 1140 a.m. on Simply the Bets. Right now, we continue to discuss the, uh, the weekend for the Baltimore Ravens and what it means moving forward as they sort of try to push towards being at least breaking through in a loaded AFC. Joining us now, a man who I know was very high on what it is the Ravens accomplished during the course of this draft. He is a former NFL QB and, of course, a man you see on NBC, PFT Live, and all sorts of places. He's our buddy Chris Sims. He's back with us on GCR. Chris, it's Glenn and Paul. Good to chat with you, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. No problem, guys. What's up? How, how's everything going? Everything is going well, and, and it's nice. I always talk about how everybody likes to feel pretty, and every Ravens fan feels very pretty because everybody on the planet seems to agree that the Ravens were big winners during the course of the weekend. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, it's really hard to argue that. They definitely one of the three, four teams that I would look at to go. They won the draft, definitely. I mean, you know, of course, the safety we know, special, and Hamilton, very – very popular type of player 
a needed type of player for this day and age in the NFL. Offenses are multiple. You could be two tight end sets, one play, they go no huddle. Both tight ends can split out a receiver and are awesome receivers, and you need guys that have versatility like Hamilton. Traditional safety, can play in the box almost as a sub-linebacker, can play nickelback. He's awesome. I mean, Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, I mean, come on, definitely one of the best O-linemen in the draft, very important, uh, underlooked position at times, but like to me, one of the safest bets there are. You got your starting center for however long you guys want him there in Baltimore. And then you get a little like David Ojabo, nice little, yeah, you guys are desperate for an edge guy, but I think the value was too good to pass up at pick 45 in the second round. And then I love Travis Jones, big guy D tackle. The big tackle from Minnesota's got potential. Jalen Armour Davis, the corner from Alabama, was one of my five best corners in the draft. He has a few little injury history, but damn, he's 6'2", he ran 4'3", and no one ever gets open against him. I couldn't believe he was on the board there. And then I also like the two tight ends. So I know I just said a lot. No. But obviously, yeah, I'm one of those guys that drooled over the draft a little bit. This is – so, Chris, I, we are in agreement about almost everything you said, right? Like, and I, I, yeah. I don't know that they're all going to pan out, but I think there's right. every reason to believe that the Ravens got quality football players, particularly with those first three-round picks, which we all know is, is sort of what makes a – breaks a draft, right? Everything after that is a little bit more of a crapshoot. But those first yep. three-round picks, they seem to have, have done as well as you could possibly do. I, I think it comes back to the – I've been asking this question since then. For as good as I feel about what the Ravens did in the draft, the secondary question is do I feel like they got closer to breaking through in what is now one of, if not the most difficult division in the NFL and obviously an insanely loaded AFC? And and that's the conversation that I'm struggling with. Not to say that there was a guaranteed yeah. way they could do that this weekend, but I think it goes back into the – when we credit them for being true to the board, taking best player available, it, are there times where maybe a team would be well-suited to say, the hell with that, we need to come up with an edge rusher right now if we're going to have a chance to go out and beat the Joe Burrows, Josh Allens, and Patrick Mahomes of the world? Well, yeah, I, I hear you there. You know, It's a tough balance. It's hard to have it all. I, I understand that. You know, There's also other ways to create pressure as far as the defense is concerned, and I know we don't want to blitz against great quarterbacks and do that, but I think you're going to still, even without Wink Martindale, I mean, Mike McDonald's still going to have things that he can creatively bring to the table. Uh, Adafio Way, to me, is a big-time edge pass rusher, and it's not like Jalen Ferguson and Tyus Bowser are bad. They're not great pass rushers. Bowser a little better than Ferguson, but good edge football players. But... You know, again, you can have it all there. So I don't know. I mean, you know, as far as addressing the edge, I think they took a guy that they felt like, okay, is extremely talented. They know him, of course, with Mike McDonald being up in Michigan, and they're willing to wait for for the reward and maybe not have a guy that's 100% until late in the football season. But I think when you just talk about team building, where the team is at all together, you still got a lot of great pieces on the team. Now you've added a young nucleus to go with what you got. Yeah, the AFC's brutal, but damn, I mean, I have a hard time thinking, like, if Lamar Jackson stays healthy down the stretch last year, you guys get in the playoffs. Damn, if the team in general wasn't so beat up with some of the star big-time players, you get in the playoffs. So I still look at the Ravens and go, it's one of the better teams in the AFC, and especially with that coaching staff and the physical style play, and I always say the pillaging of the baddest mofos on the planet every year, 
Um, I think they're sitting in a pretty good spot. I understand your concern maybe with an, another edge guy. I, I understand that. And, and the other thing, too, Chris Sims is with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. And the other thing, too, of course, being Chris, they, they ended up losing Hollywood Brown. And, and given the circumstances, we all think they did pretty well to, to make the trade that they made if they felt like they had to trade Hollywood Brown. But the problem right. is you still have to look at this wide receiver core, and it's the old thing that we've been talking about in Baltimore essentially forever and say – is this group good enough? And I love Rashad Bateman, man. Like, I think Rashad Bateman, talent-wise, could be the best receiver the Baltimore Ravens have had since Anquan Bolden. But that being said, it's it's that's what they've got. They don't have another proven wide receiver on the roster. And as much as we say, hey, they want to run the ball, that's what they're going to do, at some point, and we also say that Mark Andrews is kind of a glorified wide receiver at tight end, but they don't look around in this conference and see what other teams are lining up. What the Ravens are stacking up at wide receiver does not nearly match up. That that has to be a concern for me. Well, uh, yeah, to a degree, sure. I mean, yes. But again, you know, you, the team's never going to be perfect, and this is one area that just it's not going to be. Right. It, it's not. You know, receivers are not going to be knocking on the door to go. Oh, let me come there and play and watch Lamar Jackson run around. Yes, awesome. No, this is. They're going to probably be a team that's going to have to take a different approach if they're going to continue to play this style of football. You're, 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 I'm not saying you're wrong with anything there. I get it. Devin du- DuVernay, I mean, he's a talent, a weapon, but there's not a lot of proven commodities on the roster at the receiver position. It makes me wonder to a degree, and I think you guys, and me, Florio and I have talked about this a lot on PFT, I, I think you guys are always going to be the, in the market for the Sammy Watkins of the year to get on your team every year. It didn't help. So, <laughs> I know it didn't help. So whoever that's going to be this year, Julio Jones come in you know, late June or something like that. I could certainly see that be a possibility for Baltimore. But here's the other thing I'll throw out, maybe just a different angle, and I'm interested to see maybe if this is their approach. Maybe they realize there's a, an issue with the receiver thing to the, to the examples you have pointed out, the offense, Lamar Jackson, receivers not wanting to go there. Maybe that's why they drafted two unbelievable pass-catching tight ends later in the round, later in the draft. Maybe that's the route they're going to go. Maybe they're going to go, you know, screw you, here's Mark Andrews, like I talked about when I broke down Kyle Hamilton. Screw you, here's Mark Andrews, here's Charlie Kohler, here's Isaiah Likely. we got three tight ends on the field. Ooh, we can run the ball and mm-hmm. overpower you and give you issues with three tight ends and Lamar and, you know, Dobbins at running back and Bateman as the one receiver. And then you have to worry about, oh, let's get big linebackers in there and stop the run. But then I said, like I said, the next play it's the same personnel, and you said it. Mark Andrews, glorified wide receiver. So with these other tight ends, they really are. They're pass-catching tight ends. Maybe that's the style of play they're going to go to this year. Uh, I have thought about that. George Gotsey, the new tight end coach from New England, was in Miami. He understands how to use tight ends. It's crossed my mind. I'm interested. I don't know that, but... Maybe that's a route where they get a little more offense uh, on that side of the ball instead of the receivers, like you're pointing out. And, Chris, to be fair, we know when they had three tight ends on the field in 2019, they were, I mean, my God, they were unbeatable uh, in moments. But it, but, but can you win a Super Bowl doing that, I guess, is what the question keeps coming back to, right? Can well, it's going to be all that. You guys are the ultimate can you win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Can you win? You know, I heard, like, Lamar made uh, – you know, a little bit of a comment during the right. year, like, or on the uh, the LeBron thing, LeBron James thing, right? Where he followed up and said, "Yeah, there there is a stigma." I'm paraphrasing; I might be wrong on the black quarterback. And you know, I didn't think that was necessarily true. I love Lamar Jackson; you guys know that. But I wanted to be no, 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 no. 
There's no stigma. Nobody's questioning Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or any of those guys. What is questioned is the style of play that Lamar Jackson plays. It has nothing to do with the color of his skin. Now, you know, most, most running quarterbacks are black. I mean, so that's just the fact of the matter anyways. But it's not about the black quarterback. It's about what you're talking about, the style of play. You guys are the first team in the history of the NFL to go this route and go, you know what, we're going to play defense and be really creative running the ball and have a quarterback that's electric running the football, and then we're just going to kind of try to keep you honest with the pass game to a degree. And that is new for the NFL. Again, we get to the Final Four, the Super Bowl every year. It's guys that can make throws in the pocket as a quarterback. Burrow, Stafford, Brady, Mahomes. You just keep going down the list. It doesn't matter. That's the style of play that's proven to get you to win a Super Bowl, to win a Super Bowl, because the defenses, of course, are so great as you get later on in the playoffs that the running quarterback has a hard time running and winning the game that way. So you guys are the ultimate experiment as far as some of this stuff we're talking about here. Chris Sims with us on GCR. I, I mean, I, I'm a little uncomfortable saying there's no stigma at all to the black quarterback, Chris. Because I mean, yeah, like, I hear you. Yeah, I, I understand. I, I, I get that. I, yeah. I don't mean it that way. I understand. Yes, what I'm saying is I don't think it's necessarily skin color. I think it's necessarily more the play style that's really the the part that is questioned in the NFL circles. Right? Nobody's looking at it and going, "Oh, the black quarterback." No. That, that's not fair to say. Nobody's, everybody thinks you can win a Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson. Everybody thinks you can win it, like I said, with Mahomes or Russell Wilson or other guys, too. But, yes, there's the stigma of the running quarterback, and mostly the running quarterbacks are predominantly black. I don't mean – I'm just trying to mm-hmm. paraphrase a conversation. I'm certainly not trying to judge too much. I, I, I understand that. Um, yeah. Chris, the, so, so you mentioned the idea that it could be holy – and this is a thin group that we're talking about that's out there. There's Julio Jones. There's Jarvis Landry, who I, I'm still confused as to why he's still available uh, yeah. because he's the one guy that you look at and say, yeah, I, I think I'd take that guy. There's Fuller. There's Hilton. It, it gets really thin really quickly. Yes, it does. It, is there something there that you would try to do if you were the Ravens, or is it time to sort of say, you, you know, to your point, you got your tight ends, you got the young receivers, they're going to have to sink or swim. This is the group that you got. You're not. It ain't really worth doing the Sammy Watkins or the TJ Hushmanzada or the insert name here experiment again of just grabbing a guy for the sake of grabbing a guy. Well, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, again, the Sammy Watkins thing didn't work out quite the way you want, but you know, I, I don't think that's wrong to go along those lines of thinking of, hey, yeah, veteran. You know, coming to the end of his career, journeyman. Yeah, can this guy help us? You know, as far as the things we've talked about, be the proven commodity. Hey, it's a third and four. I want a guy that I can trust that's going to read the defense and know exactly how to run this little intricate route here for us to get the first down. Like, that's where I think the veteran presence, Julio Jones type of guy can come into handy. But it's risky. And you certainly, yeah, you're not looking for a long-term future here. Jarvis Landry would be amazing for the Baltimore Ravens. I think Jarvis Landry, the issue is he's just he's overpriced himself on the market right now. Mm-hmm. So no one wants to pay that. He's not a big-time separation receiver, nope. but he's physical. He'll help you in the run game. And to me, he's the guy that you've got to help get open a little bit, but you guys have that offense. Oh, hey, fake Dobbins this way. Here goes Jarvis Landry out the back door behind the line of scrimmage. Oh, Lamar throws them a little you know, bootleg pass in the flat, and now he makes people miss with the ball in his hands. Uh, I, I, I think that does have some logic to me. 
The price has to be right. Um, but I think, you know, we're on the right track here. I think we're seeing that this is kind of going to be the formula of the team. And I think they're going to try to, you know, go this route is what, what you discussed and what I've discussed. So how, how do they, you know, Chris, how do they break through? W- what does this come down to if the Ravens are going to try to break through? And what we're talking about, this is, this is murderer's row they're dealing with now in the AFC, yeah. right? Right. How do right. they break through this group knowing that there's, you know, it's not going to get easier, I don't think, in the coming years. These are not aged quarterbacks. They're going to be on their way out. Those are the guys in the NFC. Um, how do they break through this group and finally find their way back to a Super Bowl at this point? Well, they're close. You had a heartbreaking loss in the divisional round, you know, two years ago to the Titans when you're the number one seed, or that was three years ago now. It's a team that I don't look that it's far off. I don't know if I got the magic answer for you. I think they're in the process of, you know, you've made your team and your defense a little faster and explosive. You know, they're going to be a little more talented on that side of the ball. Uh, so that that's a good thing. You know, offensively, I think, again, it's just can we stay healthy? Can Ronnie Stanley be healthy? Can we continue to stay creative in the running game, which I don't really doubt at all. I mean, that's that's where, you know, the Ravens and, and – uh, the, the offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, are very good in that department. And then I don't think it takes, like, we don't need to, we don't need Lamar to be Josh Allen as far as, you know, picking people apart or Aaron Rodgers, but it's just got to continue to grow and be a little bit better and, and more consistent. You know, again, even last year, Lamar's better, certainly, but we had some games where you just go, damn, Pittsburgh on the road? That's just, there's too many throws and plays that weren't, that's not good enough. The Miami game on the road on the Thursday night? You know, those are the games you look at and go, that's just inconsistent, and that's where we need a little bit better quarterback play and reading of the coverages and making the appropriate throw. So I think it's a little bit of everything along with the, you know, the continued development of Lamar Jackson. Uh, he is Chris Sims. Chris, what can we plug for you, man? Where are people seeing you? Where are they hearing you? What's, uh, I know you're a very busy man. Well, I'm all NBC Sports. You know, we are on Peacock every morning, 7 to 9, Pro Football Talk. I do my Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast twice a week if you want to get in the weeds. And, I mean, it's just football. It ain't there for entertainment. We're breaking down players and teams and all that. I do that twice a week anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, so those are the main things. And, you know, I do Sunday night football and yep. all that in the season. But, uh, yeah, the Peacock is where, where you'll find me now. No more channels, you know. It's the... It's the app age. I'm on the peacock Amen. app, dude. Amen. That's uh, I, I know that world, my friend. That's uh, as a longtime radio guy, I've had to make an adjustment. At C Sims QB is how you follow him on Twitter. Chris, appreciate you taking the time for us this morning, man. Thanks for doing this. Let's talk again soon. All right. Uh, all right, guys. Be good. Have appreciate a good one. Appreciate you, Chris Sims, checking in with us here on GCR. Today's show also brought to you by the Baltimore Police, who are still looking for some folks. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Yeah, I, I just generically I have to push back on what he said about, you know, the stigma is not about black quarterback. There is a black quarterback stigma. Now, if what he's saying is that there's also a more specific stigma related to playing style, yeah, I don't think that every personnel person throughout the course of the NFL looks at every black quarterback the exact same way. Although, who was it a few years ago? I actually think it was Stephen A. Smith, which is ironic, that, that, that sort of labeled Dwayne Haskins as a running court, the late Dwayne Haskins as a running quarterback, which we all knew wasn't the case. I, I get what he's trying to say. I just don't think that that was worded in an entirely appropriate way because I don't think you can utterly dismiss the idea that there's a stigma there. 
It is Tuesday. Every Tuesday, we talk college sports with our next guest, of course, at Discourse, D1S Course on Twitter, USA Lacrosse Magazine, The Washington Post. He's our buddy, Patrick Stevens, and he's back with us now here on GCR. What's going on, sir? How are you? I'm well, Glenn. How are you doing? Everything's all right. Um, well, will, I, will I be seeing you this afternoon at Loyola? You will indeed. Uh, getting ready for a quarter Patriot League quarterfinal to, coming up at 3 o'clock today at Ridley Athletic Complex as Loyola takes on Bucknell. I'll look forward to seeing you. Maybe we can, uh, you know what, I'll talk to you about that off the air, all right? We'll talk about maybe a, there's a way we can hang out afterwards. Um, let me start with basketball this week, and let me begin with Jameer Young, and it's a Unique situation, right, with Maryland and landing a recruit because, or a transfer anyway, because I, there is still this possibility that he ends up turning pro. But if Jameer Young does indeed end up at Maryland, what are they getting from him next fall? Well, you know, it's funny. We, we were talking, uh, what, a week or two ago about Sam Sessoms at Coppin State, the guy that. Uh, took a lot of shots and, 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 and what have you. Like Jameer Young has been a guy that has been the centerpiece of Charlotte's offense for the last two years, uh, averaging 18 and 19.6 points a game, averaging 13.2 and 14.5 shots per game, a 35% three-point shooter on, on a team that's losing uh, Eric Ayala and Fats Russell. He's obviously going to play a lot. And he'll probably be one of their more valuable players. Now, how well does he make the jump from Conference USA to to the Big Ten? That's a fair question. Although I will point out that if you're if you're sizing up, well, what did he do against maybe more brand name competition last year? So he had he had ten points in thirty eight minutes on three of eleven shooting against Davidson. He had ten points on four of fourteen shooting in thirty six minutes against Arkansas. And he had 27 points on 12 of 21 shooting in 39 minutes against Wake Forest. So, you know, there's a mixed bag there. I'm sure that with some better players around him, that will help. But at the same time, uh, I don't think you're going to be guaranteed that you're getting a guy that's going to average close to 20 points a game. He's clearly going to be, if he does ultimately end up in College Park, uh, one of their more useful players next season. Um, I, I think that would be obviously very important for this team because they still need a lot. You mentioned they, they still need a lot, and there's a lot still floating around out there. Yeah, I think I think what we've said and what I think I've said in the past, and I still I still believe this is we get to the middle of this month, maybe toward the end of this month, and we'll just have a better idea at that point. My own my own opinion about this coming season isn't that much different than the one that. That uh, that just concluded. I think anything you get out of this year is is gravy. Uh, you're just it's sort of a year zero situation, and you're basically trying to put yourself in a spot where you know you, you don't want to be sub five hundred again. But if you're being realistic, you know it's probably it's probably more likely that you're you're going to be an NIT team or worse yep. than an NCAA tournament team. That said. If you know, if I turn out to be wrong, hey, you know what? That that's good for them. No question. And, you know, it's, it's the old it's the old line: better to be pleasantly surprised than bitterly disappointed. And I, I think for Maryland at this point, given what it has and given what it doesn't have, uh, that you're probably not looking at at having a team that's a serious conference contender until twenty three, twenty four. But like I said to start all this off, there's still a bunch of dudes floating around out there. Yep. So who knows who they ultimately 
end up landing here over the next month or so. Um, I know you mentioned uh, his name, but there was a couple of people, including I, I don't like to give more attention to John Rothstein, but like he thought that he needed to tweet out that Eric was there any thought at all that I, Eric Ayala wasn't going to to be moving on? Was there ever a thought that he could use that extra year and come back to Maryland? Well, you know, remember, not only did he have four years in college, but he also had the post-grad year um, that he played. And so you're talking about a guy who's 22, 23 years old. And, you know, like, I think we've talked about this before. Like, at some point, like, you know, what are you really going to get out of that extra year of college? I mean, I think I've always enjoyed watching Eric Ayala play. I, I think that he's the sort of guy that maybe he doesn't necessarily jump out at you all the time, but he has a game that I think is going to be able to, you know, he's going to, he's going to age into his game is going to age fairly well. You know, I think he's a guy that can go play professionally for a while. And so, you know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with, with somebody in that spot saying, you know what, I'm, I'm 23 or so. It's time to go make some money doing this. So, you know, best wishes to him for sure. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't think there was ever really a thought he was going to stay in college for. Yeah, that's the sense that I had. Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. All right, sir. So this is the final week, and we are loading up for Selection Sunday in college lacrosse. As you referenced, there's a Patriot League tournament gets underway today, both Loyola and Navy in action. I, I guess let's just sort of broadly, what is at stake still this week? What what are the realities for the various local teams? And then what are the big storylines otherwise going into the selection special? Well, let's, let's, roll through, let's roll through the locals first. You mentioned Navy and Loyola. They both have to win three games in a span of a week uh, to be able to make the NCAA tournament. The Patriot League is going to be a one-bid league. Uh, Loyola starts at home as a three-seed against Bucknell. Navy goes to Lehigh. Uh, the tournament is up in Boston Friday and, uh, Friday and Sunday. If Loyola wins, it will definitely play Army uh, on on Friday. So if you're Loyola, you're looking at probably having to beat two teams that you lost to during the regular season, Army and and Boston University. Uh, Although it's possible BU gets picked off by a Lehigh or or a Navy. Uh, And so Navy, you know, I think you know it's funny we talked last week about you know Navy making its season by beating Army, and I didn't even mention that they've won at Homewood for the first time since 1969. So they're they're nine and five. I think that they get to 10 wins tonight uh, against Lehigh, a definite possibility. Lehigh with just a, an absolute meltdown in the last minute against Loyola yeah. uh, on Friday. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how Lehigh responds to that. But it, bottom line for Loyola Navy, both have to win three games in three days. UMBC has a tough task. It goes up to Vermont. Uh, all these years, they've never actually had the, con- the lacrosse, conference lacrosse tournament up in Burlington. Uh, they got to make the trek up there. Vermont has played really well against America East competition. UMBC gets a Binghamton team that's been struggling a bit of late. Uh, so that's the semifinal. That's a one-bid league no matter what. And chances are UMBC is going to have to beat Vermont on its own field on Saturday if it's going to get in. Towson, uh, you know, they're playing UMass up in Philadelphia at Drexel uh, in a CAA tournament that could go to any of those four teams. And I don't think anybody would bat an eye at it. Delaware and Drexel in the other semifinal. Other league where you're going to need – uh, you're going to need to win two games in three days to make the turn. And then, you know, Hopkins and Maryland playing in the Big Ten semifinal Thursday night in College Park, 5.30 start, uh, BTN with both of the games there, Rutgers and Ohio State being the other one. Uh, you know, Maryland, I think, is going to be the number one seed regardless. 
uh, in the NCAA tournament, Johns Hopkins needs to win two more games uh, to be able to extend its season beyond this weekend. I will say, having watched Hopkins on uh, Saturday against Penn State, and Penn State isn't very good. I don't want to. I don't right. want right. to overemphasize this, but Hopkins played really well, and Hopkins uh, really dominated the course of play. They outshot Penn State thirty-one to nine in the first half. I mean, they just had control of the game from start to finish, and it was a good response from the worst loss in program history. So now they get another shot at Maryland, and I would expect, I don't, I don't think Hopkins is 15 goals worse than Maryland. I, I don't know if they're much more than, you know, within eight goals of Maryland, because sure. I'm not sure there's many teams that are at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I expect this to be a better game uh, on, on Thursday as, as Hopkins gives it a go against the Terps for the second time in less than two weeks. And then what about the rest of the country as far as, you know, are there teams, uh, is there a bubble going into this week? Um, who's a, it, there's not, there's not much of one. And part of it is because, um, the Ivy league has been so good. Yeah. Um, that those teams are all kind of locked in for the most part at this point. I mean, I feel like I could give you a list right now of 13 teams. Uh, and I think those 13 teams will account for the eight at-large spots and could also account for up to three automatic berths. So when we're looking at teams that are maybe closer to the edge of the field, and I would actually, you know, somewhat reluctantly, in case there is some chaos, include Virginia in that. But Virginia, Duke, Notre Dame, Harvard, Ohio State, uh, I mean, I, two of those teams aren't going to make the tournament. And the question is, 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 is it going to be more than two? Um, my guess is, is that Harvard probably is not going to be in the field, probably not quite enough going for it, and they missed the Ivy League tournament, so not enough opportunities to improve their, their lot in life. Um, but there's not going to be that many you know, potential bid thieves out there. Hopkins is one of them, and if they go out, then the Big Ten is going to have three teams that if they, if they were to win the league would have been in the, would have been in the field anyway. Uh, if even if they'd lost a conference title game, I think if Ohio State beats Rutgers, it's going to be hard to leave the Buckeyes out. The other league that has the potential for a little chaos is the Big East, uh, and that's a if Georgetown wins, it's a one bid league, and if somebody else wins that league, it's a two bid league. So I think if you're uh, a Notre Dame or a Duke or an Ohio State, you're probably watching those those results coming in uh, from DC. Uh, Denver or Villanova probably against Georgetown on Saturday afternoon. That I think is is the game that has the potential to sure. squeeze somebody out. I think all four teams in the Ivy tournament are going to make it, and I think pretty much everybody else is one bid territory. All right, it's Patrick Stevens. We'll be watching it unfold over the next few days, and then we'll be talking about the end. And it again appears as though the most likely scenario is that Maryland will be the only local team that's involved. But you know, as you said, Towson can go on the road and, and do something, and we'll see how the, the other the Patriot League tournament plays out. Um, about, it feels like about a year ago at this time we didn't think Loyola was going to be in the NCAA tournament either. They just didn't have to deal with there being so many Ivy League teams standing Correct. in their way. All right, uh, let's play our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams that this particular player has played for? I acknowledge this first one tricky. Um, four-time All-Star, but we remember one really well and the others not quite so well. Four teams for one of the better closers of his generation Troy Percival is the first name. Well, we certainly remember Troy Percival with the California slash uh, Anaheim slash L.A. Angels. And that's where, yes, of course, and that's where things get tricky because you remember a lot of that 
and don't really I I got to be honest with you, I didn't remember any of the other ones, Patrick. All right. Well, he was he was in Detroit, right? That's where he went after I don't know how I don't know how you remember that. Yes, he went to Detroit in 05. And am I remembering him uh, with a cameo in Tampa? You are remembering him with a cameo in Tampa in 08 and 09. So I'm missing the 07 season, And And, huh? and I'm acknowledging the 07 season was uh, a bit injury-plagued. Um, he did appear in 34 games during the course of that season. 34 games for Troy Percival in 2007. Um... Gosh, uh, it does get a little hard here, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but um, the fact that you've done this far, I mean, stop. This is a win no matter what. You remember Troy Percival as a tiger and a ray. Um, was he in Arizona? No, it wasn't Arizona. It's actually a, a pretty common one. Like, it, it's St. Louis is the answer. St. Louis, St. Okay. Louis is where I, he ended up. I do, not, I do not remember him in St. Louis at all. So. Uh, I admit, I did actually did not want, remember one of these, but four teams, and somehow the man was only an all-star once, despite the fact that he finished in the top 20 of MVP voting four times. Four teams for Jason Wirth. Jason Wirth was in, well, certainly we can go backwards here. He mm-hmm. was in Washington. Yep. He was in Philly. Yep. Um... Now, the tricky thing with Jason Wirth is I think he was drafted by the Orioles, right? But he never actually played. That's correct. So he was in Toronto, That's right? right? That is where his career began. And I, and I remember those three. Paul knows it. Was he it. a Dodger? That's the other one, four for four. I don't remember him as a Dodger at all. I don't remember that one bit. But well done. Well done, sir. All right. Um, I'm imagining College Park, D.C., and Loyola Today all on the schedule for this weekend? Yes. Uh, Loyola Today uh, for Loyola Bucknell. Uh, Big Ten semifinals on Thursday. Uh, and then the Big East final, which I think is probably the most interesting game of the day, on Saturday, Georgetown against, in all likelihood, Georgetown against either Denver or Villanova. Uh, although Georgetown does have to get past Marquette first. Uh, in Thursday semifinals. At Discourse, D1S Course on Twitter is how you follow him. Patrick Stevens, appreciate you, my friend. We'll see you this afternoon. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, all right? Awesome. Take care. It's Patrick Stevens joining us as he does every Tuesday to go through the world of college sports. All right. It is a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. Josh Charles is going to join us here in just one second as we'll continue to push this break. It's okay. I can make it work. I'm a professional. What I'll do is I'll tell you about Glory Days Grill. I'll tell you about the spring seasonal menu. I'll tell you about the opener, the flash-fried pork belly with the Korean number two sauce. I'll tell you about the Cracker Jack Sunday with the waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks. The Crunch Burger with the chips on top. It's all available for you right now at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to get your order in. This man was out in Vegas announcing... The Ravens' third-round pick on Friday night. I didn't know if he was going to maybe try to, to ham it up, do any shtick. I think he did the right thing, playing it cool. Uh, he's on a show perhaps you've heard of. Uh, it's on HBO. It's called We Own This City. He is our buddy, Mr. Josh Charles, and he's back with us now here on GCR. What's going on, brother? How are you? Glenn, how are you, my man? You good? Everything's good, man. What about you? What's going on in your world? Um, it's good, man. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, you know, I... I did a little Q&A on the plane, just bored, killing time on the plane, while the guy coughed next to me, oh, you know, the oh, entire flight. Oh. Uh, and I was, I said, you know, what do you think, what, what, you know, what do you guys think I should do when I get up there? And a lot of people are like, do a Baltimore accent, do this, do that. 
and I thought about it, and I, I ran it by some people. But I thought, you know what? Even though the at that point in the third round, the players aren't there, it's still somebody's moment. Right? You know, it's not. Right. I didn't want to make it like a big joke or anything like that. I didn't want to go. Uh, so I just I don't know. Try to do it straightforward and have some fun. Um, it was it was cool. I mean. To be frank, as a fan, I mean, I think the drafts can be kind of, I mean, other than the fourth round, they can be kind of boring. You know, you're there for a while, and it's going, and it's going. But, you know, the fourth round was super exciting just to have that many picks. And uh, Vegas, you know, yeah. I mean, the NFL and Vegas are made for each other. Right. You know, the Super Bowl there in two years will be perfect. It's a perfect mix of everything, you know. And uh, for me, two days, and I'm ready to get out of that town. I, well, okay, we agree on that, and it's going to be a nightmare for me if I don't get out of that town within two days. When I lived out in Arizona, it was a real problem because it was a nice weekend trip. Um, okay, two questions yeah. I have. Did you get to keep the card? I kept the card, and I immediately, uh, I immediately emailed the Ravens and said, that, you know, I want to, I want to give this to to um, Travis. Yeah, to Travis Jones, and um, and uh, I said, just you know, if you want to give me his address or whatever, I want to, you know, he may want this as a souvenir. You That's can claim cool. it. And they said, uh, yeah, you know, best way to do it is next time you're in Baltimore when they're here practicing, just come down and give it to them yourself. Oh, that's cool. That'll cool. be neat. That'll be really neat. That's a very cool yeah. thing. And then how nervous were you about the pronunciation of, of whatever name you were going to get? Like, were you happy that you didn't get a Jabo the way that Matt Stover did? Was that something that you were thinking about at all in the, the, the leading well, up to this? Well, a Jabo would have been easy. I was more worried about the, you know, the really long one. Oh, like Fa'alele, um, right. Yeah, you yeah, know, or something really like you know. Uh, so yeah, I was nervous about that. In fact, they pulled a practical joke on me backstage and handed me a card with one of those names on it <laughs> and said, you know, <laughs> so here you go. This is your because I said I was nervous about that, and they go, oh, okay, wait, I think she have you seen your pick yet? Because I think I have it, and I was like, oh, okay, and they handed it to me, and sure enough, you know, it was. I go, are you kidding? Is this a bit? Like, no, I just had to have not put the Ravens on it yet, and I was like. Oh, I started getting into a deep sweat. <laughs> and then they just all bust out laughing. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one that got that day. With it. But it was pretty good. That's and awesome. I was like, yeah, Travis Jones I can handle. Yeah, that's not too difficult. That's not too difficult. <laughs> well, it's a cool experience. Like, you know, I, I get that it's not, you know, you didn't win the Super Bowl or anything like that, but it's a cool experience. Not everybody's going to get the it opportunity to win that. It was a cool yeah. experience. I mean, I felt really honored they asked me to do it. And, you know, you know I'm a live and breathe no Ravens and Orioles and so just like you and I kind of was I, I was touched by it I was like well, how could I pass this up you know wife and I used it as a chance to go and just have a couple of days together and uh, the weather was beautiful we saw some friends um, and uh, it was great it's awesome really man. great that's awesome I was really happy for you when I found that out I was like that's yeah. a really cool thing that's a really cool thing to get to do it was cool I mean, and a great draft by the way I mean I, I really feel very happy about the draft um, and the picks we made and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see how all those fourth rounders pan out reading all the stuff i've been reading about it the peter king behind the scenes stuff was yep. very interesting uh but i yeah i just think the the ravens are, are damn good at what they do this they make some good picks and and things seem to fall with that fall to them and they, they don't panic and you know yeah, I had a tremendous sense of pride as a as a fan, you know, because everybody there was like, "Oh my God, dude, the Ravens, the Ravens, the Ravens!" God, people, other teams are so pissed. You know, That's so cool. pissed. That's cool. Your owner, your GM, <laughs> make such great picks. And I know, I know, it takes a little while to tell, but I mean, I think the Hamilton and, and the Linderbaum was like, was an incredible start to the draft, and um, pretty well. 
uh, Josh Charles is with us. By the way, sometimes when those people bring that up, you have to remind, like, hey, I'm an Orioles fan too. It's not like, like I do have yeah. some suffering in my life. I have some of that. Oh man, um, I've got I've got suffering in my life, um, and you know. And I thought here's the other thing. I thought the Ajabo pick was. Oh, I agree. I, I agree. Called that before. I thought that was really cool because I know I know he's coming off the Achilles, but I I think it's really great value there. And I just had that feeling with McDonald. I was like, I, I said backstage, I was like, I bet you they're going to take Ajabo, and they did. I was excited. So let's talk about what they did because you you and I talked briefly on Twitter. I I agree. I think they made great picks. I really like the picks, but but Josh, what I struggle with is. Is there ever no a time, pressure. right? Is there ever a time to think about, hey, as much as this theory has worked and has kept the Ravens relevant for decades, is there ever a time to start thinking about need? Is there ever a time to start saying, hey, we need to zero in on what's best for winning a Super Bowl this year? And you know, I like I like a Jabo a lot, but I don't think he's going to be a factor this year. And They've got one qualified NFL receiver on the roster at the moment, and you know even that's a guy that, as much as we all love, and we I'm I'm over the moon about Rashad Bateman's talent. We do have to acknowledge, you know, he hasn't done it yet in the NFL. So, I it's it's just a difficult juxtaposition for me of thinking they did a great job in the draft, but knowing you don't get to throw parades for drafting really well. I, I agree. I mean, I think. I mean, I I, I agree that I've heard that. I mean, I. You're not the only person saying that. I definitely feel like that was a consensus I've been reading, and you know, I was I was immediately checking back in to see what the vibe was from fans in Baltimore, and I heard a lot of frustration about that. Um, but I also think you know we don't play next week. You know what I mean? We've got some time, and I think this team has shown historically they're willing to make moves, uh, and I think I think they we improved our offensive line tremendously between the Moses signing and Linda Baum, right? I think, you know, the plan is for guys to get healthy. I think, you know, they're seeing Bateman closer up than we are, and we feel good about him that he can make that turn. Yes, he hasn't done it, but I think they have a lot of confidence in that. And I think with all the tight ends, it's just it's going to be interesting to see which way the offense goes this year. I mean, yeah, we need an extra pass rusher. We need, uh, you know, another receiver. Yep. I mean, I think when you read that King thing, you said saw they were going to take that kid in the fourth round, and the Steelers, you know, yeah, Austin, Calvin Austin, you know, right? Grab, yeah, grab him, grab him one pick before. So I think, I think, like Eric said, I don't think it was like lack of, you know, trying. It was just like, I don't know. I think the board fell to him in a way that they were giddy with getting Hamilton and the the trade. I mean, I, we haven't even talked about the Hollywood thing. I mean, what's the vibe there in Baltimore? How are people it's, feeling it's, about it? It's the so thing? weird, Josh, because the same people that were absurdly critical of Hollywood Brown, like, and they were insanely critical of Hollywood Brown. We had Tory on last week, and Tory was kind of going in on Ravens fans. Like, and I know some of that's personal for him because he felt some of it when he was here, where he was very productive, and yet people wanted to run him out of town after the New England game because he couldn't, he didn't break up the interception and. All he ever does is get past interference yards, so he's going in on Ravenson. So those same fans that have been critical of Hollywood Brown were kind of losing their minds as this trade unfolded. And I sense that it's less about Hollywood Brown and more about the fact that, hey, this was the first time maybe in like the history of the franchise that we really felt good about the wide receiver position and now here we are a couple days later, and we're nervous about it again after we had felt so good about it. So I don't know how much of it was about Hollywood uniquely as much as it was about just yeah. the position as a whole. 
I think that's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't agree that it's the first time we've ever felt good about wide receivers. I mean, I think we've definitely had some periods I, where I, we had I, some solid wide receivers. I, I think when it was dra- and draft and develop, Smith. guys, I guess specifically. Is, oh, I is, see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. totally. I mean, I think, I think you know, we saw him make those we saw him make those strides this year. And then, you know, it was kind of, to me, I thought I saw it as like, you know, a couple steps up, step back, a couple steps up. You know, it was, it was, it was you kind of kept wondering, okay, is next year going to be the year that he turns it around, you know, and really kind of goes to the, to the next level. But when you talk to other people, it's like, you know, you hear Steve Smith talking about it. He's, he's, you know, showed flashes of brilliance, but he's a go, he's a go route receiver. You know, he's not going to step up, you know, man to man and, and just sort of wear somebody the corner down and, so I think I think Bateman can be that guy. Bateman's got that right body size, right? I mean, that to me, I feel like he could fall into that. But yeah. I don't. I, I you know, it's it's weird. I, I wanted to feel. I thought I would feel worse about it because I seem to like Hollywood. He seems like a really sweet guy. But I I, I actually think it was a great move. You know, I don't think the money that they're going to have to pay. You know, at some point, whatever that is. Lamar, I think I think this was a you know knowing that Hollywood wanted to be traded. I mean, I, I they kept that under the wraps. I didn't know that. That was that was amazing to me, you know. And he gets to play with his boy from college, right? And who I think is licking his wounds after the ending of his season, and wants some sort of comfort there with with somebody that he feels familiar with. And I, I think I think it's good for both parties. Honestly, I think we we. To me, I think I think we, we handled it really well. I'm happy with it. I I, you know? I I tend to agree with you. I think they did well in the trade. I think that there's a lot. I just I I get nervous about the idea of who your second wide receiver is. That's it. You know, <laughs> like I yeah. You're right. There's time. I I love the idea of trying to add in Jarvis Landry. He's not replacing Hollywood Brown, but I think he's still a very productive player that can help you mm-hmm. at this point. I don't really. Is that what people are talking about now, Glenn? I just, I mean, he's the best that. of what's there, you know, Josh. Like, right, the, right. It, it, otherwise, it's Julio Jones. And, and a year ago, I was enamored with Julio Jones, and now I'm like, nope, I was wrong. I was no. so wrong about I was that. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, I, I think it's. Look, I mean, I, I watched the press conference with with Eric and and, and and Coach, and you know, just saying that they feel really good about the guys they have, you know, and. I know that's something they say, you know, Right. you, you watch that and I get it. But at the same time, it's like, I, I do. I think, I think Duvernay has, ha, has potential, you know, Poche had some flashes last year. Um, I think, you know, I don't know how Wallace kid, what, what's, I don't know. How Talon Wallace. Out, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was sort of more special teams, right? Yeah. I mean, he was, ba- I mean, he was barely even active. Barely active. So yeah. I think, you know, I don't know. Let's see. You know, if if Rashad really, with that full season under his belt, playing catch with Lamar in the offseason, if he really makes that leap, can one of those, two of those other guys fill those other positions and, and step up there with Mark Andrews, these two young tight ends we just drafted? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not as freaked out about. It. I'm more. I'm more concerned about the pass rush, to be honest. I get it, and I, look, it's also a concern for me. It is. I pro. It's. It's a concern for me, and I, and that's. I like Tyus Bowser and his role if he's healthy. I think we saw a lot to like about Adafi Owe, but there's just a lot of hope that's involved with this conversation. There's a yeah, lot of. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. It, you you kind of look at it, and you're not sure. It's like, is, yep. is it going to pop this year, or is yep. it like another year? It's going to. You're going to get really excited about it. But I have confidence that these guys will fill in the pieces. Like we said, you know, we're not we're not playing next week, two weeks. We got time. 
And I think that was something Ozzy always did so brilliantly. And I think Eric does it as well. It's just not afraid to make a move when they need to and put in the right pieces. So I'm willing to give them a little moment to see, you know, where this heads in terms of the pass rush and the wide receiver of it all and give them the benefit of the doubt. He is Josh Charles. You have, um, you've been watching him these last couple of Mondays on We Own This City on HBO. So you and I have talked about this. I, you getting to pull out the accent and play such <laughs> an unrepentant asshole. I mean, just <laughs> one of the great assholes in, in the history of television. <laughs> I, a Highland Town asshole. It's a oh, oh, it's a very asshole. unique asshole, isn't it? Like, I am yeah. convinced, and I told you this when I first watched, that this had to be <laughs> an utter joy for you in your career. And I, and if, and if you tell me I'm wrong, I, I appreciate the truth. But like, no, 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 it was a joy. It was. A, I wouldn't say it was a joy because of, of what an asshole the character was. I think, I think in an odd way, in doing the research, you know, there, there are times. For me as an actor, whenever you play a character, and especially if you play characters that from the outside people would perceive as an asshole or, you know, bad characters, villain characters, you're always trying to find, you know, when you're playing them and getting into their shoes, you know, they don't view themselves that way, you know, so you have to kind of, you're looking for every, every little lock, every little key that can open up some of the humanity that you can find. And here, you know, because he's a character you hear so much about, you know, for a while and then you sort of see him in sort of pieces here and there. Um, a lot of the exposition was sort of done for the character and the backstory. And in the research I did, you know, a lot of people that work with him, as as brutal as he was, you know, as many complaints as, as he had against him, historic complaints and and, you know, just trouncing on people's civil liberties. You know, when you talk to people that work with him, you know, uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things that people would say that didn't really jive with with um, with the perception that he was just a straight asshole, you know. And and some of it was that he had a kind of, you know, people said he, he definitely had that edge to him, but that he also had a kind of odd charm. Like you know, if, if he was on your team and you liked him, he worked hard, um, and and you know he could be very sarcastic and kind of have that that sense of humor. But there was a sort of an odd charm to him. And when you watch a lot of the body cam footage, you know because he grew up in the neighborhood, you know, he just, the way he interacts with certain people on the street, um, sometimes, yeah, you could feel a level of aggression underneath of it, um, sort of couched in this sort of faux kind of friendliness. But other times he was genuinely friendly with people on the street and they knew him, you know, because he grew up there and he'd been there for so long. And, you know, there's this one, I tried to get it in the show. I can't remember what episode it may be in there somewhere where, they're, 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 it's his body cam footage, and it's his body cam footage, so you can't really see him. But he kind of goes out, they're, they're getting a gun from a guy in like a liquor store, and he walks out while they're kind of handling the guy, and he sees these two ladies on the street, and they're talking him up, and they know him. And he's just like, what's up, girl? You know, and he's talking to him. He's just like holding court with them in a way that they're asking him about his other partner. He's like, oh, yeah, no, that guy, he ain't here no more. No, 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 yeah, he... Yeah, he went over to another district. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm still here, you know. Oh. And they're talking and they're laughing and they're like, Boy, you need to you too old now and he's like, Yeah, no, I know, I know. And they're just <laughs> going back and forth, these ladies and there there was something in there. I tried to put it in this one little section, uh, where I just these girls walk by while I'm walking to the car to search someone's to to search the car and they look at me and I just go like, What's up, girl? You know, I just trying to throw it in there. But you know, I, I think to your to your larger point, though, that is the sort of purpose he serves in this piece, right? Right. So 
on one level, it's not the Daniel Hersel story. If it was, you know, maybe you fill out some of those things a little bit more. I, I think I was very aware of like what he represents for the story. And I, and I get very excited about that, you know, trying to figure out what my role is and how it helps tell the narrative and the story. And so I think when you're dealing with such gifted writing that's so layered and has such depth and nuance and so many things coming together, you know, I talk again about that exposition because it is kind of remarkable, you know, in the episode that just aired last night, it kind of culminates in that, which is like the first episode and a half, you, you see Herschel in his element a little bit, you see his brutality, you see him being... And you keep hearing Nicole Steele as she's interviewing everybody. Oh, Herschel, Herschel, Herschel. He's the guy. He's the poster child. And so then they wrote this amazing scene that wasn't in there when I originally signed on, but they added it. And it was in the bar? That, that ends the episode. Yeah. yeah. And so I was really happy about it because as an actor, you're always kind of, you know, no actor wants to hold exposition. You never want to say it. You know, you understand that it's needed sometimes, but no actor wants to have to give it, right? Particularly in television when you're sort of having to sort of hold exposition and be like, oh God, this is frustrating to get out. So the idea that they could handle all of that exposition about the character and paint this this portrait of him and even see it in glimpses and then get to see him in his element where I don't want to say like he, he charmed her in any way, because obviously he didn't, but where you see him in his environment in a Highland Town bar with people that he knows, you know, people that like him, and he's watching sports, and he's having chicken wings, and, he's, and he gets to express his point of view. And it's not a point of view that me, Josh, necessarily agrees with, or most people wouldn't. But it is one that's expressed by a lot of police officers, you know, particularly around that time. And, and so that's the kind of beauty of this writing is that they give everybody a voice, you know, and, and they let you kind of have that point of view and you can, and I think it's why the wires, you know, sustains as well as it does. And I, I think this is why this is resonating. It just has a, it can hold all of that, you know, and that just makes it a richer experience. So I, I, I enjoyed, I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed it just being home. I've been eager to, to film home, um, for a while now and to get to work with David and George and, and, and in the, the city that, you know, raised me and that yep. feels very much a part of my identity. So I, I loved it. And I'll tell you this, you know, we had the premiere up here. I couldn't make the, the New York, I couldn't make the Baltimore premiere because I'm, I'm filming a movie right now. And, and, uh, I was shooting that day, but I, the next day was the, the New York premiere and we went and afterwards I was super tired because I just worked the day before I had to work the next morning. And we watched it, and I'm sort of, during the screening, I don't even watch because I'm going, I'm just like working on my lines for the next day. And then afterwards, we all get on stage, do a talk back. A bunch of the actors, David, George, and Ray, the director. And, you know, it was, it was and Dee Watkins sort of moderated it, and it was okay. I and mean, there was just a lot of people, and I was tired, and I wanted to just go and have a bite to eat. But I will say this, like, there was a lot of interesting talk about the film, I mean, about the show. But then... You know, I think Daryl and Rob Brown, they started talking about just how much they love Baltimore, you know, and it kind of it kind of grew into this sort of love fest. Really. That's and cool. David sort of chimed in as someone, I think he said, who is probably most accused of ruining Baltimore's reputation, right. you know, right. that everybody got to talk about, you know, just really passionately about what a great city it is, you know, how if you have a chance to go there, it's a beautiful city, it's a warm city, the people are amazing, Um you know, and, and you, you have to spend time there. And it was just, I, I just was so happy because I'm normally the one that's saying that. And so the, the fact that I could just sit there and sort of bask in 
you know, this, this moment of just love and appreciation for Baltimore that we can all know that this is maybe a painful story. Not maybe it is a painful yeah, story. Yeah, for sure. It's, right. it's, an, it's a story worth telling, you know, um, and, and that there's also a lot of beautiful things about Baltimore too. I'm so glad you brought that up. Josh Charles, I want to cover two more things with you if I could, cause that was part of it. And, and I'll, and I'll tell you, like my my uh, radio co-host uh, Rita, she she led on to me, and I did not know this. We had Justin on a couple weeks ago, and she said, "You know, I've never actually watched The Wire," and she said, "Cause it it kind of hurts me. Um, I I know mm. these stories. Like I am Baltimore. I I know. I don't I don't need it shoved back in my face." And I talked to her about it, and I was I was having this in depth conversation about how what I kind of love is that, and I'm sure you probably have gotten it more than anybody else because you wear this city on your sleeve wherever you go. I'm sure people come up to you constantly. You're like, is Baltimore really just the wire? Is that really what Baltimore is? And, yeah. and I don't know if you if it's something that you thought about as all when you get involved with the project, but I love the idea of, hey, every city's got warts. Every city has problems, but I love the fact that Baltimore artists have been able to make incredible art exploring the warts warts of the city over the years and that in a way it's not all baltimoreans you clearly are a prominent one but many people involved in the project are from baltimore and it's filmed here it's not like it's i think a a tribute to what the city is capable of that art of this magnitude arguably the wire being maybe the greatest television show in all time and this is a wonderful series being a baltimore project i think that's significant when we talk about this yeah I mean, I think both points of view are valid. I understand people feeling like they're too close to it. I think I experienced experienced that filming it, you know, in some of the neighborhoods where these things actually took place and in, in some of the research and doing rialogues and seeing how people in the community have, 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 have been affected, you know, the ripple effect that this is still reverberating years later in these communities. What, what, what the police officers did in that task force, you know? Um, so you, you feel the sense of responsibility to it. I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, I remember doing a movie in France and like, everybody's like, Oh, you're from Baltimore. The wire. Oh, right. Wire. Right. You know? And it's like, one can appreciate the genius of the wire, and you know, arguably the, the best television show of all time. And, 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 but I think, you know, I wouldn't speak for those guys. Obviously I would never dare, but I, I think that, you know, on some levels, it's it's a microcosm, that show, right? I mean, it is Baltimore, obviously very uniquely Baltimore, but it's also a microcosm of, of you know, the cities in America. Yes. It's not unique to just Baltimore, a lot of the plight of what's happening. Yes. But Baltimore does have its own specific unique issues, and I think, you know, David and George know it well. And I think the, the issue here was that, you know, you're, you're trying to sort of, I mean, I think they said, you know, in a couple of interviews we were all doing together, this is like a coda, you know, to the wire, you know, that, that a lot of these characters that are cops today, you know, they weren't cops when they finished writing the wire, you know, <laughs> this is the next generation. This is the sort of result of the bad decisions that a police department can make over time. And then here's what you get. Right. And I think that's, you know, look, it's, uh, it's not made up, you know? So sometimes, you know, it's part of what I think art, you know, aspires to be, you know, hold up that mirror show people what's going on and hope that, you know, it, it, it resonates with people, um, and, and can, you know, prevent stuff like this from happening. Again. I completely agree. Completely I don't know agree. that that will happen. No, but unfortunately, I hope, yeah, you know. this is, this is we, well, 
Boy, we, I was going to say this is America, and, and did we get a, a lesson about that in the last 24 hours? Um, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah it's, I know. It's a topic for a different day. Josh, the, the other one, I want to go back to the accent, because this is, I almost worry for you, man, that like this is going to be like when a band has a song that, like, I, my buddy Jimmy Haha from Jimmy's Chicken Chat can't go a day in his life without somebody asking him to play Do Right, right? Like, it's just sort of the way that it goes. Did you have, when you were young, did you have an accent at all? I, and, and I asked that because I, like, I didn't think I did. I moved out to Phoenix, and I remember a program director pulling me aside on day one when I got to Phoenix and being like, hey, what are we going to do yeah. about your, your accent? And I was like, <laughs> what, what are you talking no, I about? Have, I, I totally had one, Glenn. I mean, there's, there's tapes of me, when Jimmy Carter was president, I have, a, I have a tape of me reading my first book. And I was just like, see, Jack, run. Run <laughs> up the hill. Jack and Jill, run up the hill, you know? And then my dad's like, who's your favorite quarterback? And I'm like, Burt James, you know? So, no, I mean, I absolutely had it, but I think like a lot of people, and I'm told that it still comes out maybe when I'm, I had a couple cocktails or, you know, <laughs> I'm feeling a little loose. But by and large, I moved away from Baltimore really young. I right. New York, started acting young. New York, went to L.A. And it's a kind of accent that I think you can just, you know, playing different parts and more conscious of my voice and so you know don't feel like i have but it's always there it's inside of me you know what was interesting about it was you know Herschel is the one character of the gun trace task force who's actually from baltimore proper yep, right? yep. from highland town and that was very important to me when i accepted the role that i wanted to make sure that you know even if it's not clear in the in the sort of words that we just make that clear into sort of how he presents himself and his sort of how comfortable he is and how he speaks, and so yeah, and and it's also an accent that you know you you try to find that balance of right because I know where it can become a caricature you know and you want to sort of find that moment because it's not a comedy you don't want the voice to be sort of so in the way that it's sort of overpowering anything. And I was nervous about it because I felt a tremendous sense of responsibility. Well, fuck, you know, I'm from here. Right. You know what I mean, right. like I'm playing this real guy in this real story and this is my city. And, you know, I have my reputation on the line. <laughs> like I got to deliver now. And I got nervous, you know, and I, I called a very well-respected dialect coach that I work with. And I said, look, I, I, I know I have this voice, but I'm just nervous. Do you mind if I just read some scenes with you and go over a couple things. You just tell me if I'm in the right direction, you know? And she did, you know, and she said, yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, and, and I, and I felt, I said, listen, I, I feel confident about it, but I just want to, I need, I need to bounce it off someone. I need to hear, you know, and I, I work with her for an hour and she was like, you're, you're, you're good. You know what I mean? Just relax. <laughs> you have it. Yeah. You're where I want people to be when, after I've worked with them for months, like this is in your, this is in your bones. You have it. Just relax and just let it be and let it fly. And so that's what I did. And, um, yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was truly like something I've always wanted to do. So it was, and wanted it to be kind of specific to the character I was playing because I, I got to listen to a lot in the research of his voice constantly, you know, and all the body cam footage. It was a lot of what I did was just walk around New York City and listening to him. And his voice was kind of high in a little bit, you know, for someone who's so brutal. You know, and it has that <clears throat> quality about him. He also had a kind of high, goofy voice, you know. And was kind of, you know, his registry was kind of up here. Right, you know? right. All right, sir. Right. You know, and and the, that was kind of fun to play with the sort of juxtaposition of that. I found that really interesting, you know, the sort of the, 
the duality of that. So that was fun to play with. And, um, yeah, I saw it was like this tweet came out. I think as David said, it was my favorite thing I've ever read. There was a guy said, you know, there's many great things to dig about Wheeling City. Not the least of which is that, you know, Josh Charles is, gets to be put in the uh, regional accent hall of fame. Correct. And I was like, I was like, I'm done. I'm dude, done. Dude, That's it, it is. Wrap. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. It's all I needed. I literally wrote, I, I think I quote tweeted. It was like greatest thing anyone's ever said about me. And I'm done. That's a wrap. That's, I mean, what else I'm can done. you do? What else could you possible do as, as a Baltimore? I mean, that's all I care about. Correct. A hundred percent. Uh, brother, the show's so good, man. It is so Thanks, bloody good. Um, and, and you're it, good, man. I, you're good. I love, love getting on here and, and, and chatting with you and um it's always fun man you're great you're one of the great guys so i truly appreciate it. you it means a lot to me and your friendship uh, over the years my friend and i'm so happy for absolutely. you hey dude thanks buddy we'll, we'll talk soon we'll all talk right soon. thanks pal okay see you later bud. Bye. Charles. he's the best man my god he's the best if you're not watching and look i appreciate what rita said that like she struggles with it because it just hits very close to home this is a different story than the, the Wire is a more overarching story of a city, despite the fact that it's fictional. Whereas We Own the City is a very truthful story. There's a couple of things that they take liberties with, like as Justin Fennin pointed out, the um, Nicole Steele character, the, or the what, what the Steele, the woman that's doing, that's leading things. They mm. put in the consent decree. There is no such woman in the book. Like there is no that no such woman existed. That was a character they invented for the television show. Um, but they stay very true to the book otherwise, right? This is a very truthful story, but it's very isolated within this group. It's the Gun Trace Task task Force. It's not really... Baltimore's a character in the story more than the story. Baltimore isn't the story. Baltimore's a character in the story. So I get where Rita's coming from, but the show is so bloody good. It's so well done, which isn't surprising for a David Simon project... And given the quality of actor that's involved with it, not just Josh, but, you know, Jamie Hector and Delaney Williams we had on last week, it, it's such an insanely good television program. And, and that's even when I said that to Rita, I'm like, Rita, I understand how you're feeling, but I would just watch The Wire for its art value. Like, as a piece of art, it's unreal. And We Own This City is that caliber of art. It's phenomenal. Fun fact about the show. So my, my brother-in-law is a Harford County Sheriff. Oh, yes. So and, and he um he knows the guy. Yeah, for the McDougal. Yeah, he knows McDougal. Yep. The real McDougal is the cop yep. leaning up against the car. Yep. I, I, I guess maybe people know this. Well, a lot of the, the, these, I think like Justin in particular has put out a lot of these Easter eggs mm-hmm. uh, each week as the show has been airing. Like, hey, you can see this person in this like episode. It's... There's been a lot of that, but yeah, I happened to see that one too. The McDougal was involved, yeah, which he's a guy leaning up, which is the reason why this all came out. Faulty. By the way, yeah. like this, this if not for the, the Harvard County Police, we never know about. Well, probably at some point we end up finding. I got, I can't imagine it's still going on to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they were how this all kind of came out and came into light. It's 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 wild. All right. Um, speaking of the Charles family, Stan the Fan, uh, he and Ross Grimsley had a chat with Luke Jackson last night covering this uh, cover story about Adley Rutschman. So you can read the cover story by picking up the new print issue of Pressbox, and you can watch that show last night at Facebook.com slash PressboxSports, PressboxOnline.com slash video, or YouTube.com slash PressboxOnline. When we come back in, we got to go top five tidbit tubular quickly because we got to get to simply the bets. It's all on the way. Glenn Clark Radio. 
The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. PressBox is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com That first sip That first bite Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Answering Baltimore's calls for help. Running in when others run away. Working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people. People like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and Paul Valley every Tuesday morning at 1140. Fandle Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and even a few winners. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday at 1140 a.m. Brought to you by the Fandle Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com radio. Watch at YouTube.com PressBoxOnline. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash-fried pork belly with our popular Korean number no. 2 sauce, and take a bite out of the Crunch Burger topped with home-run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR live. It's at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. Cass is a big Josh Charles fan now. Cass is all in. That's that's uh, that's the way it's going to go. All right, we got we to gotta go through this quickly. Cass, what's your top five for this week? What's the theme? Um, okay, so actually... This Can you turn Cass up a little bit? Thank you. Go ahead. This wasn't my idea, but I liked the idea. Okay. So it was top five like TV shows um, that you'd want to be like in. Like if you could be in a TV show. Like, let's be say, in a, like you mean as an actor or in like... You, like let's say it was real life. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like let's say it was just like So how life. do you list Boy Meets World five times? <laughs> I don't understand how that works. <laughs> that would not be mine. That's Sorry, the, That's Topanga. the singular answer. T- did you Sorry. say Topanga? Topanga. Topanga, yeah. I say Topanga. Topanga. Yeah, oh, it sounds Topanga. weird to say like Topanga. Topanga. It doesn't sound Topanga. right. Topanga. Anyway. So I was going to say for number five, you guys are going to laugh. I was going to say um, South Park, but then I was. <laughs> what? Listen. <laughs> but then I was like, let me go back to my childhood roots. Okay. And I chose Fairly Odd Parents. 
for I never was. I, it was. It was after me. I don't. I just don't know much about Fairly Odd Parents. Big Fairly Odd Parents, but only if I was like the girl version of Timmy Turner, I, and I got like Fairly Odd Parents. I'm, I'm willing to. I just. I'm sorry. I'm just. So, I can't add anything at all. That's I'm okay. so you sorry. Don't, you I can't add anything to. at all to it. I, I. I. It's everything about being a part of an animated series seems weird, but we'll go with it. That was. I just wanted to put yeah. one all cartoon. Right. All okay. Right. Number four. Um, number four would be Criminal Minds. <laughs> Okay. My wife loves Criminal Minds. Because I would be the love interest Wait, of Spencer Wait, oh, hang on a Reed. second. Does she love Criminal Minds or does she love NCIS? I feel like NCIS. What's the one with the girl with the hair? Is that NCIS? NCIS where she's like... Um, she's got the... the, the Polly Perrette, I believe, is her name. Is that her name? Like is the pigtails? Is she like blonde? Yeah, that is she blonde? Yeah. No, black NCIS. hair. Black hair, okay, that's, that's NCIS. NCIS. I love Which NCIS. one's Criminal Minds? Criminal Minds is like Spencer Reed, Shamar Moore. It's like the really handsome like dude. Oh, I do know Criminal Minds. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, she loves this show too. Never yeah, mind. Yeah, she yeah. loves this show too. I would and the love guy, to be and in the, that. And the guy with the, the, the long hair. The, Spencer Reed. That's who that is? Mm, okay. All right. oh, we love Spencer Reed. Easy over there. I'd be the love interest of Spencer Reed. That's why I want to be in it. Um, Shamar Moore is still very ha- handsome. Mm-hmm. How old is he? He's got to be like in his fifties. He's Doesn't very matter. handsome. He's like a Brad Pitt. Oh, he's very handsome. He can just live handsome. Oh my God! The f- you, when you search him, he's fifty-two. The first <gasps> thing that comes up is a picture of him no, with his shirt off. Not. I told you he had to be in his fifties. He's very. That, by the way, I don't know when that picture was from, but Jesus Christ, I got to reconsider whether or not I'm straight. Like, holy hell! And now you see why I want to <laughs> oh, be I'm part with of you. the show. I'm with you. Thank All you. Right. Number three. Okay, number three is New Girl. I love New Girl. I, would I love do love to New, be girl. A new Girl. I would. I would. We attempted at one point some friends of ours to play Young Americans, like where you just make up your own rules in order to play it. Um, I love New Girl. I was all in on it when they brought Darling Love out for the Christmas episode and she's singing in the street. Oh, God, it was just. I, it was, the funny thing is, I'm not even like a big Zoe Deschanel fan. Like, oh, I love her. Everybody does because she's quirky and she's cute and the whole thing. Like, I I don't dislike her in any way, but I'm not like a big fan. Mm-hmm. But my God, that show. And Jake Johnson's perfect. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, he's perfect. I mean, it's like, just they picked the right people for yeah, that show. They really, they really did. For number two, it would be Teen Wolf. I never, wa- you know, this is a funny thing. Wait, do you mean the new one? The new one, yeah, not the, the original. First, the movie There's was the original. Michael J. Fox yeah, yeah, movie, yeah. right? I, I have no, like, I am not connected at all with the, the new mm. Teen Wolf. It's great. I've watched it at least three times all the way through. It's me and my sister. But show. why do you want to be a? Because you want to meet a kid that turns into a wolf? No, it's just like I don't know, like the family, like they, like it's kind of like everyone in their group and their friendship, and then also it's like. See, this is like werewolves. I get, I get new girl because it's the way that everybody of a certain age treated friends. Like you wanted to believe that you had this group of pe- your your coven, if you will, that was like family, mm-hmm. and you did everything together, and everybody cared so deeply. It's like creating new family. The Teen Wolf thing, I don't think I fully understand quite the same way. But again, I haven't watched you haven't the show. Watched That's fair. It. Right. And also Dylan O'Brien's in it. That's All another right. reason. Whatever. Number one. Number one would be Bridgerton. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's so good looking? I mean, that helps. But yeah. like, could you imagine being able to just like, I don't know, get dressed up and it's all like romance. And it's yeah, just it's, so it's going like, to not be for me, for it's sure. It's for me, definitely. It's definitely not for me. I think it's me. great. I like this premise and it, I would have to think about it a little bit more because I... I mean, like, I, it would probably be more shows like correlating with my 
adolescence, my coming of age is probably the way that I would fit. And that's why Boy Meets World would be number one on the list. Because, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you and your best friend just running around. You yeah. fall in love with the pretty, like, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, everything about that is what resonates with you. I'd have to think about what else would be on my own And, list. like, I was really upset because, like, I think it was last weekend or my sister went to, with her friend to D.C. to go to the Bridgerton event. Oh, it the was Bridgerton like, Ball. Yes. I heard like, lots about the Bridgerton Ball. And she, like, wore her, like, bridesmaids. She looked gorgeous, by the way. But it was just so fun. I really wanted to go, but I couldn't. And it was just like, it was really cool. Like you just got to see everyone dress up. And I don't know. It's like in today's world, no, there's, if you dress like that, that's like blasphemy. Like everyone's well, going to make fun of yes, you. Yes. There's definitely going to be a lot of making fun of you. So, you like, it'd be so really do it. So come in on Friday dressed up like you're in Brid- Bridgerton. <laughs> it would just be a do cool it. I dare experience. you. You won't. Do it. Where do I even find a dress that's like that? Amazon Prime. All right. Good job, Cass. Good <laughs> you top five. Uh, Thank you named five shows that I have not watched any of them? You never and, uh, watched New Girl? I, I watched like New Girl was a very uh, popular new, show for new, people new, our age. New Girl's the only one that I even watched. A yeah, I mean, I didn't bit. watch any of the other shows either. But. It was hard because I was going to put Friends or that '70s show, but then I was yeah, like, that oh. makes it a similar concept. It's, it's a group of friends. So Everybody similar. wants to be in that group yeah. of friends. Exactly mm-hmm. right. All right, uh, quickly tidbits. All right. So as we mentioned earlier, uh, last night was the 19th time in 23 games an Orioles starter allowed three runs or less. Similarly, last season through 23 games an Orioles starter allowed three runs or less 17 times. So we need to take it with a grain of salt. The Orioles team ERA right now is 360, whereas last year at this point it was 420. And last year's team ultimately lost 110 games. And they had a better record at this point than the Orioles do now. So again, grain of salt. If miraculously the Orioles pitching holds up all season, it will mark just the fifth time since the 1985 season that the Orioles pitched to a sub-4 ERA as a team. The other years were 1992, 97, 2012, and 2014. Mm-hmm. Can you name... Most of those years were good years, but 92 is kind of a misnomer. I mean, 92, yeah. they were fine. They were they just weren't very good as a team. Yeah, they were like 80... They won yeah. like 88 games, yeah. something like that. Can you name the 10 combined starting pitchers between those four Jesus seasons? Jesus Christ, no. With sub-4 ERAs that started at least 15 right, You games. said 92, 97... 2012. In 2014. 12 and 14. So Messina. He did it twice in 92 and 97. Uh, was it Sutcliffe? No. Was it McDonald? No. Who else would have been in 92 then? Um, all right, hang on. Let me think about the other years. 97. Uh, Erickson? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tillman? Tillman's done it twice. How about uh, 97? 97, 97, 97. Um, he was a Blue Jay. At one point, and, was, I be- and I believe he was a Yankee. At well, one point. Uh, so I was thinking it was Scott Kamenicki, but no. uh, his ERA was just above four. Uh, that bum, that guy sucks. Uh, Get him off the team. <laughs> you can't work. Oh, Jimmy Key. Jimmy Key. Yeah, Jimmy Key for sure. So anybody else from '97? No. Okay. The '92 one. A hint here is he was better known as a reliever. Better known as a reliever with the Orioles. With the Orioles. Arthur Rhodes. Arthur Rhodes. Yeah, I do remember him being a starter. Um, and then how about Wei Yin Chen? Wei Yin Chen did it in 2014. Miguel Gonzalez. He did it twice in 2012 and 2014. I don't think it was Ubaldo Jimenez. Nope. He was the only one in that rotation without a sub-4 ERA. Hamill? Jason Hamill did it in 2012. Um, am I missing anybody? Two. We got to wrap up. God, all right, just tell me because we got to wrap Bud up. Bud Norris and Kevin Gossman. Oh, I'm surprised that Gosman had a... God. He had 15 By the starts way, that year and had like a 3 What Kevin Gosman is doing this season... Oh, he's a monster. Ungodly. This is what I mean, we thought he was going to be in Baltimore. It's utterly insane. If you have not seen how well Kevin Gosman is pitching... By the way, John Proctor reminds me it was real American, not young American. I don't know why I said young American. That was the game they played in New Girl. Um, 
Oh, Cassidy, <laughs> Cassidy just wrote down the word trash on a piece of paper, and I was like, what? And it was she was just calling me trash because <laughs> of how I fared in that. What a jerk. <laughs> Cass does this sometimes, where she's a great teammate, and then all of a sudden the you trash. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police. Make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages. Excellent benefits on day one. Join for good. BPDrecruit.org. She called me trash because I only got an 80% because I ran out of time. It wasn't even that it was that bad. Well, you put the time limit on yourself. Yeah, I know. Masson tonight. Orioles twins. 7 o'clock. Joe Ryan. Bruce Zimmerman. The pitching matchup. Uh, Maryland baseball after the perfect game over the weekend. By the way, I believe Ryan Ramsey's joining us tomorrow. 6.30 tonight, they host Georgetown on Big Ten Network+. Plus, As I mentioned, Bucknell Loyola at 3, Navy Lehigh at 7 in the Patriot League tournament on ESPN+. Plus. Capitals-Panthers game 1 tonight at 7.30 on ESPN2. It's also on NBC Sports Washington. TNT, Bucks celtics game 2 at 7. Warriors-Grizzlies game 2 at 9.30. No TV for Champions League this afternoon. Leg 2 between Villarreal and Liverpool at 3 on Paramount+. Plus. Anything non-sports, just a highlight or two? Uh, Mr. Mayor, tonight, um, Benedict uh, at 8.30 on NBC, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And hold your breath, the Ice Dive's new Netflix documentary. Uh, sure. We'll, we'll just we'll go with that. I have no idea. No clue what any of that means. All right. <coughs> oh, gross. What was that? I don't know what happened there. All right. Very good. Uh, thanks today to Josh Charles. Thanks also to... Uh, Patrick Stevens, as well as to Chris Sims. We'll get it all up in the greatest hits section of the Archives. tab at glennclarkradio.com. Uh, as I mentioned, I think Ryan Ramsey's joining us after he threw his perfect game for Maryland. Stuff and things. I'm working on it. We'll, we'll let you know about it. Thanks today to everybody at Pressbox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, the Baltimore Police, Great Eights Memorabilia, FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, Baltimore Orioles, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Cast social media quickly. Instagram, Cassidy underscore Elizabeth 22, and then Twitter, Cassidy Butler 5. All right. Um, thank, uh, you, uh, thanks to Paul at Paul Valley the Third. Thanks to Ryan at Rex Specs Ryan. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Tuesday night. Go Birds, go Loyola, go Navy. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks too. If you're watching us, do like a 30 second break, then hit refresh. We'll have a new video for you. If you're listening, do nothing. Simply the Bets is coming up next. All right, welcome into Simply the Bets, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. You're going to want to be there this Saturday night for UFC 274. It's a big fight month. Later on in the month, Javante Davis in action again. You're going to want to be there in the FanDuel Sportsbook with the 61 self-service kiosks for you to get all of your bets in. So many props available on fight night. Make sure you reserve your spot by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. 
We will chat with Aaron Oster here in just a couple of seconds. Leon Twyman, assistant general manager of the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, will check in with us in a bit. Stanley Cup playoffs underway, NBA playoffs on to the conference semifinals, fights on the way. That's what's going on. That's what we want to get some information about and let you know how it is that you can win some money this week. So we will do that during the course of today's show. And we begin with our buddy Aaron Oster from Mountain Vison in Vegas. He didn't get everything right with his various draft props over the last few weeks, but did he ever nail the over on five and a half wide receivers? That was one that I loved from the moment he said it. Glad I got that ticket in. What's going on, pal? How are you? I'm doing good. As you said, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. Did hit, you know, finished up, which is all you can ask for in this gambling game. But uh, definitely the wide receivers and uh, Drake London threw me for a little loop there. And uh, the Falcons did what I thought GMs wouldn't do. But it happens in gambling, like I said. Finished up, and we move on to everything else. That's now. correct. Lots more to bet on moving forward. I managed to sneak in. The only bummer for me was that you couldn't parlay picks because well, yeah. once once we saw kind of the way that things were going, I was really hoping to parlay a top four and, and see how that played out. But instead, I just got individual tickets in like an hour before the draft on all four. And so I had a decent, I had a decent little night on Thursday night uh, because of that. And that doesn't really feel like betting as much as it feels like cheating, but what the hell? <laughs> I'm taking – if somebody wants to give me money, I'm willing to take it. That's the way that it what works. What the NFL draft is, is uh, as, as one uh – casino owner in town said when you book something where best case scenario is you have a small loss not going to be a fun day for the books nope by the way it's really funny too i what i lament as we were doing our our kind of um live reactions in the sports in the FanDuel sports book on thursday night i actually could have put i think the top seven in and i would have gone seven for seven um <laughs> because i just kept as, as pick i was like well i think it's gonna be evan neal here like, like it was just amazing how it was going <laughs> So, um, bummer, but I still did okay. I still had a decent – I came out on top, but not really. I actually broke even because I tipped out enough that it, I broke even. But part of that is the fault of the Toronto Raptors, who were down by two when I put my bet in on them. And then I looked mm. up at the TV five seconds later, and they were down by 20. And I said, well, <laughs> going go, to need to go do something about that. All right, uh, Aaron, what is, what is your focus now? Are you zeroed in on the playoffs? Is – is baseball primary for you? I don't even know if you're a big fight better. Like, we got a UFC pay-per-view this weekend. Yeah, I'm just kind of all over the place right now. Like, I'm going to start getting into uh, NBA playoffs. I'm probably going to focus in on the next few weeks. I will play some stuff on the Derby. Um, just not, I'm, a, I'm not knowledgeable necessarily about right. horse racing, but I will talk to people who know. I'll, I'll figure out, you know, various trifectas or whatever to play just for fun. Um, I get into I tend to really get into NBA props. Uh, during the playoffs, player props, which you will uh, see a little later in my five L's. That'll be kind of the first thing. But um, yeah, over the next month or so, I just kind of bounce around and you know, whatever kind of takes me on a certain day. There's nothing really I focus on specifically. Um, this is just a quick note, and I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to encourage you not to be there, but the way the, the laws are written in the state of Maryland, unfortunately, you cannot bet on horse racing in the sports books. And the reason they did that is because you have to, they want you to go to the tracks. There is still a, sure. A, I wouldn't say a thriving, but they're trying to get it back to be thriving. There is still a significant horse racing business that exists in the state of Maryland. 
So if you want to bet on the Derby on Saturday, unfortunately you can't do that in the FanDuel Sportsbook. They will still be showing, I want to make that very clear, they'll still be showing the race on Saturday, but you can't bet on it in the FanDuel Sportsbook. So it's something that... You know, we talked about last week. How much do we do we mention that? I don't want to mislead anyone. I don't want anyone. To, somebody might say you're doing a betting show this week and you're not talking about the Kentucky Derby. Well, part of the reason that I'm not doing that is because you can't go to the FanDuel Sportsbook and bet on the Kentucky Derby this weekend. Unfortunately, just the reality of the circumstances. I understand. There's a lot of things that I don't like about how Maryland has rolled out gambling. This isn't even really one that I'm fighting about because I get it. They are trying to keep horse racing as prominent as possible. And, and get people to go to the track. So it's not even something I'm necessarily going to fight about in relation to the law. I understand the way that it was written. So, so I didn't mean to um, the grandstand there, Aaron, but I just wanted to make sure that people knew that. Hey, right. it's absolutely important. Everybody does a little things differently. And even, you know, the, the one thing about, like, a FanDuel sports book uh, versus, and you can even see that in Vegas, is, like, most sports books, you know, you can bet winners, but you have to go to very specific places to bet the type of bets that you might want, the, the exacts, the trifectas, the various exotic plays. So, you know, that's something that, while it's unique to Maryland that you have to go to a horse race, it's not all that unique that you might not be able to find exactly what you want at every sports book either. Um, a hundred percent. It is, there, you just never, it, the draft was a great example of that. It was different everywhere you went, what it is that you were able to bet on, just the way that it goes. All right, sir, let's get into it. Five L's for this week, and we're not trying to find five losses. We're just trying to find five unique bets with some alliteration. That's the way that it's going (laughs) to work. We begin. Give me your local bet for this week. All right, so as I said, I'm kind of all over the place once uh, the draft moves on. So my five L's will cover four different sports. Uh, I will start with local, and, of course, I'll start with baseball. And, you know, it's so tricky to do this because I don't just want to say, well, go against the Orioles every play because, A, you're not going to make money that way, and I don't like taking plus on the run line, all that stuff. So I'm probably actually going to start be, start giving you a lot of props when it comes to okay. uh, the local plays over the next few weeks. And one jumped out to me, and unfortunately it just moved 20 cents because as I woke up this morning, I thought I was going to give this to you at minus 125 and said it's moved to minus 145. Still, I think it's worth a play, and that's uh, Rugnet Odor to get a hit at minus 145. He's historically been an extremely streaky hitter. He's not going to go day off, you know, one day on, one day off. He's going to give you eight games in a row where he gets it, and then he's going to give you eight games in a row where he doesn't get a hit. Well, obviously, he's given you not just hits, but home runs over the past two nights. I think he's going to keep that up. I think he's going to get a hit, and I think it's worth a play at minus 145. So random. That's such a random <laughs> bet to make. By the way, I'm actually a little bit surprised that it's minus 145 or Rugnet. As a team, they got four hits last night. Like... I don't know, and the, the Twins have the uh, the best rotation ERA in the American League. I, I you're you're not going to be able to get me to, to join you on this one. There's a lot of bets that I'm willing to make. I am not putting American dollars down on Rugnet Odor getting it. I will not do that. Let's uh, let's go to the next one. Long term, give me your futures bet for the week. Well, of course, after the draft, uh, I immediately started to look at the Rookie of the Year odds that popped up, and it, it took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole into the other awards, which we'll get to in a minute here. But um, I am going to give you a Rookie of the Year play here for long term. And when I'm looking for this, especially one this early, you know, nine months out, eight and a half months out from when it's going to be uh, uh, given out, 
I'm really looking for something that is pretty high odds, something worth playing now, having your money tied up for all that time, and one that I think that might move considerably, potentially before even the season starts. And, and one play jumped out at me for that. And that's uh, James Cook at 16-1 to 1 to win Ooh. the rookie of the year. Ooh. He went... Yeah, he went to the Bills, and that was, you know, everyone going into the draft, whether it was the fantasy community or people looking for offensive rookie of the year, was wondering what running back would end up there. Some people thought, you know, they might even take Brees Hall in the first round, and it wasn't that. And James Cook is, there's a question about how many touches he's going to get. I think he's honestly the perfect running back for this offense. He's extremely explosive. Um, You know, there's some analytics out there that show when, you know, uh, plays are perfectly blocked. Uh, who does the best, and he was one of the best in all of college football at gaining yards when the uh, play was perfectly blocked. I think he's going to have big holes, and quite frankly, even though there are some running backs there, I don't think Devin Singletary is going to stick around and give him much trouble when if he's ripping off you know, 10, 15, 20-yard gains routinely. I think this is something where as we get into training camp, you're going to hear more and more how much this team loves uh, James Cook, and I think that he could end up usurping Devin Singletary as the primary ball car- uh, carrier very early in the season. So at 16-1 to 1 right now, I really like that play. I completely agree with that theory, and I do find it intriguing. Admittedly, I I still worry that the Bills have, have one run play that they'll call, and that's the one where Josh Allen runs the ball. Like, I just <laughs> – I know there's – Brian Dable's gone, and, like, I, I just – I, I don't know. We've seen a lot of them not running the ball in the last couple of years, so I still get nervous they also about haven't that. Had explosive running back. A hundred percent. I I love the theory. In theory, I love it. And with those odds, sure, sprinkle a couple of bucks over there and see if you can't hit on something. I I I love it. All right. Uh, next up, let's go with the. Uh, you know, it's funny because that that would qualify as a long shot too, Aaron. <laughs> but yes, this is a longer shot though. But it is again. I, I told you I had I went on a deep dive in the NFL awards after I went through Rookie of the Year, and there's a long shot there that the odds don't make sense to me. And and the pawn once I saw this line, I looked on other books. It really doesn't make sense to me because this is far and away the longest odds uh, on this specific player. Uh, Ken Akers' comeback player of the year is twenty five to one on FanDuel. Um, Look, he's coming off of a high-profile injury in his rookie year. He looked great. It seemed like he was set to become the primary ball carrier for the Rams and even put a little bit in the playoffs when he did return a little bit. 25-1, uh, to 1, I think, is ridiculous odds for this. You know, obviously, Derrick Henry is the favorite, but he's plus 350. When you're talking about a primary ball carrier, you know, you're looking at um, – some of the other primary ball carriers who have come back with Saquon, the McCaffrey, are mm-hmm. usually around 10 to 1. And quite frankly, Cam Akers is 10 to 1 at other uh, uh, sports books. Uh, I think this is fantastic value. Is it possible? I mean, of course, it's possible. You know, Derrick Henry is the favorite to win this for a reason. But at 25 to 1, I think these odds are absolutely ridiculous. And it's a situation I could certainly see Cam Akers winning it. I, I hear you. I mean, I, I really do. I, I struggle with these just because it really just you're, – you're betting on somebody to stay healthy more than anything else, right? And, like, mm-hmm. it's such a crapshoot. Now, I know, to your point that you're probably about to make, hey, maybe the guy that you should bet on is the guy that got hurt last year because what are the odds the same player gets hurt in back-to-back years, right? Like, uh, it, it is intriguing. I just – I find myself kind of generally staying away from these types of futures bets just because it really feels like all you're betting on is health. Sure, but I mean, 
pretty much every single player who's on this award is you're betting on health because right. everyone got injured. Right. I, honestly, I, I think the biggest thing is we've seen him come back and he looks good in the playoffs. He did. So I, I think that when you're talking about, you know, there really aren't questions, at least about this injury, about whether he's coming back. Sure, yep. he could get hurt again. Anyone could. Right. Um, that I, I just think the 25 to 1 odds, again, this is the long shot. This is kind of, mm-hmm. eh, let's take a flyer. Let's have some fun. I don't think these odds are right. So well, why and, not And, have and to your point it? that, like, it ain't going to be Jameis Winston. It's not going to be, I mean, could it be Daniel Jones? I don't I don't see that. Mm, yeah. um, you know, I, I I think Deshaun Watson could have a massive year, and I still don't think people are going to vote for him because no, one hundred he he will not win. Right, award. like so I I get that you're kind of picking guys off the list that have better odds and saying this does it doesn't make sense that Cam Akers is this much lower than all of these other guys who are are have almost no shot of winning this award. Right, like Michael mm-hmm. Thomas, I think is a legitimate threat. Right, like that's that's sure. viable if he plays. If he's Michael Thomas again, he becomes a le- legitimate threat. I-, I have no idea how to even consider Baker Mayfield. Like, what, what, what even is that? He has to play. <laughs> Correct. And then, like, what is he coming back from? Like, he's coming back from being not wanted. Like, how- to, to be fair, that's how Tannehill wanted a few years ago. Um. Yeah, but Tannehill was also bad. Baker Mayfield wasn't <laughs> bad. He just wasn't. He wasn't. He True. was no great shake. You know what I mean. True. Ch- Chase Young is a factor, but you know nobody. Defensive player. Exactly <laughs> right. Like I get it. I get what you're doing. Is you're picking apart this list and sort of saying I don't know. But um, I'm so sorry. It's going to be J.K. Dobbins. It's just the way that it goes. So okay, um, I'm that's, that's the answer <laughs> to that question. All right. Uh, Aaron Oster is with us. He's given us his five L's for the week. We move on. Give me the bet that is a loser that you say no matter what you do, do anything else, but do not make this bet and don't tell me Drake London to be the first wide receiver taken. I will not tell you Drake London, though I I would say I don't like him being the favorite rookie of the year right now. But um, my loser is actually in hockey, and I'm a little, not confused, I understand it. But I don't think there's any value there. I think there's negative value here. Uh, the Avalanche are plus 135 to win the Western Conference right now. They are a heavy, heavy favorite. And look, I get they're it. Loaded, they're loaded, man. Yeah, they're loaded. They're the best team all year. At the same time, they have, again, they baited down the stretch now. They had clinched things, whatever. Games didn't matter. But it's worth noting that they did lose six of their last seven in the regular season. And the biggest thing to me is simply, they're loaded. There are a lot of good teams in the West. And the way this the, the playoff uh, is structured, they actually have to play the second-best team in the West in the second round. Um, this is simply one plus 135. I feel like if you go through, and assuming weird stuff doesn't happen, you can't necessarily assume it, but let's assume that uh, they play... Uh, you know, either the Wild or obviously they play either the Wild or Blues, but both teams are pretty solid. Let's say they play the Wild uh, in the second round. Let's make that a, what, a minus 250 uh, favorite for them to win that. Then they play the Flames in the conference finals. They'll be minus 200, maybe even a little less. Well, that comes out if you put that all together as as much better, not much better, but better than plus 135. Um I think that the Avalanche, again, they're good. They're the favorites for a reason. They just shouldn't be this big a favorite okay. when over in the East the favorite is you know, close to plus 300 and plus 135. Okay. All right. I hear you on that. Um, I, I, wanna, I don't normally give this away. 
So today on uh, the Live Casino and Hotel Maryland uh, various social pages, you're going to see a video starring uh, uh, Glenn and Paul, and uh, it's going to include uh, me saying, hey, man, the Lightning at 11 to 1, I, I got to at least throw a couple bucks on it. And that's going to sound particularly awkward <laughs> because they lost 5 nothing in game one yes, last they night. 5 nothing. Now, I tell you that because we filmed the video yesterday, and I don't know why, but for some reason they've decided to now sit on this video for an entire day before anybody sees it, which ain't great, but it ain't my call. Um, so it's going to look particularly embarrassing that I say, and I'm not trying to say that I think they're going to win the Stanley Cup, but my my, my theory is my theory, right? Like, you're really giving me 11-1 to 1 odds on the team that's won the last two Stanley Cups and who seem to be getting their act together down the stretch in the regular season? I, I got to at least toss a couple of bucks that way and see if I can't come up with something. Hi, Glenn Clark here. Um, <laughs> if you change your mind about that based on last night's result, eh, I'm good with that. The Maple Leafs look really good, man. They look really good. All right, and finally, the bet that you say, whatever you got to do, walk, do whatever it takes rent uh, uh, some sort of uh, aerial device, one of those like hang gliders, and fly in to Hanover and the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Whatever you got to do in order to do it, make this bet. What bet do you love? Do, do you think they've ever had a hang glider land in the parking lot there? I, I would Lodge? love it. Would if, cool I would love it if Fan Man from the old Mike Tyson fights would like yeah. you. What was that contraption he had? What did he call that thing? He could oh, fly God. around with. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. I would love if uh, somebody did that. Uh, yeah. What's your speaking of love? What's your love? Uh, my love is Jason Tatum to hit over three and a half threes against the Bucks tonight. That's minus one thirty six. He's at four threes in each of his past three games. He's had at least nine attempts in three of the past four. He's also torched the Bucks in recent memory. He had four threes in five of the last six games he's played against the Bucks. And the Celtics just seem to have a strategy that they're going to go after the perimeter. They shot fifty threes in the last game. And I think uh, Jason Tatum is going to get his. So, yeah, I, I love Jason Tatum over three-and-a-half threes in this game. All right, very good. That is available right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook. Aaron, what's going on out at VEASAN? Oh, well, you know, we're turning the page, but, of course, <laughs> a lot of things still going. We have a full spring deal. They'll cover everything on the spring deal. There's Kentucky Derby, playoffs, you know, everything that you can possibly think of. Well, College World Series right around the corner, all of it. You can get a $59 deal, get everything that VEASAN has to offer. So check that out at vison.com. All right. At the AOSer on Twitter is how you follow him. Aaron, good luck, my friend. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. I hope everyone has a good week and hope you hit some bets. There you go. Aaron Oster checking in with us from out in Vegas with his five L's. When we come back in, we'll bring it back a bit a little more local, and we'll go down to the FanDuel Sportsbook. Leon Twyman, the assistant general manager, will join us next. This is Simply the Bets. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGAMBLING. Gambling help.org. That first sip. 
That first bite mm. starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash-fried pork belly with our popular Korean number 2 sauce, and take a bite out of the Crunch Burger topped with home-run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. Baseball is back. I'm Paul Valley, And I'm Zach Goodman. You can find us live every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon talking all things Orioles and Major League Baseball. Like the debuts of Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez. And how the rotation and bullpen are rounding into form. Watch us live at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Or you can listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. That's the bat around live with the latest in baseball coverage every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon Podcasts. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Simply the Bets continues here on a Tuesday. Let's head down to the FanDuel Sportsbook in Hanover at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Their assistant GM, Leon Twyman, with us now on Simply the Bets. What's going on, Leon? How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Everything is good, man. I had a... Uh, you know, I was I was hoping to get hit even more on Thursday night. So we were there, of course, in the FanDuel Sportsbook for the draft. And I'll tell you, it was actually one of my more profitable evenings in the FanDuel Sportsbook because after I tipped out, I broke even. So hey, that's, that's always a good thing. <laughs> I call that I call that a win, my friend, given some of the nights yeah. that I have had down there. No thanks to the Toronto Raptors, who uh, <laughs> really put a wrench in my plans. But the draft itself, I did quite well, quite well as the evening planned out. All right, so um, let's let's get an idea. I know there's a lot of focus right now on the playoffs. Um, I, I feel like that's is that probably what's driving you guys most at this point in the coming weeks. Uh, yes, you know, playoffs when it comes to NBA and also the Stanley Cubs, we're getting a lot of action on that. Uh, we also have a lot of uh, a lot of people in with some fighting this weekend. I know yep. it's a big weekend with uh, UFC and boxing as well, so it's going to be a great weekend. Yo, UFC 274, of course, is coming up on Saturday night. And are you guys showing the Canelo fight as well? Yes, we're hoping to be showing that as well. So, so yeah. it's going to be a huge weekend. So you're going to have uh, two fights going on. So it's, it's going to be great. So you know, I referenced this a little bit earlier, Leon, but I, I feel like we should we should talk about this a bit. You guys will show the Kentucky Derby, correct? It's just that you can't bet on horse racing in the FanDuel Sportsbook. Am I am I right about those things? That's correct. We'll we'll make sure it's up for people. Um, I actually had some people stop by the book yesterday and. And they wanted to reassure that themselves that we were going to have that in the sports book. And yes, we will be uh, showing that. 
but unfortunately, as you said, you cannot place any wagers on the Kentucky Derby. It's just the anymore. just the rules in the state of Maryland. That's that's the way that it goes. But it could set up for yourself a very nice evening of hanging out, right? Watching the race, watching uh, some basketball, and then watching the fights on Saturday night and getting your bets in on. It seems like a pretty decent way to go about spending a Saturday evening. I think it's going to be one of the uh, the better Saturdays to come into the book and hang out. You're going to have some horse racing, some sports, some fighting. Uh, you know, we have great food, great bars, so it's it's an all-around great atmosphere in the book. No doubt about that. All right, so anything that's jumping off the page at you. So, I, I, yeah, I want to talk a little bit. Um, Aaron just talked, Aaron Oster from out in uh, uh, Vegas at VEASAN was just with us, and he was saying that he is absolutely betting the over on three-and-a-half threes for Jason Tatum tonight, and I feel like that's something that people miss about betting these basketball games is we talk a lot about how many props there are for say a fight or like the Super Bowl but individual basketball games my god the number of things that you can bet on throughout the course of the game it's insane to me yes it is it really is and that that Tatum over three and a half threes I like it yeah. um the odds on it right now are minus 138 so it's so some money to be made on it but it's uh it's definitely a good bet in my in my eyes. I, I love that bet, and I, I didn't realize he had made at least four threes in each of his last three games. Like Jason Tatum is becoming the, I, like I, I almost feel like I'm being disrespectful to him because I don't treat him the way that I treat the Giannis's and the Steph Curry's and that. Like he has become that ilk of player of that superstar that he's sort of bankable night in and night out, no matter what's going on. I agree a hundred percent. Uh, he's he's a great asset to to Boston. Boston's looking great. Um, you know they have their they have their uh, issues facing Bucks. Uh, I'm more leaning towards Bucks on this series. However, um, you know Jason Tatum is definitely leading the way with Boston right now. Tell me about the player performance doubles that are available for these basketball games. So we actually get a lot of uh, <laughs> we get a lot of action on those people really love those just because there's a lot of money to be made in it so right now if you were for example if you wanted to do jason tatum plus six uh assist in boston to win that is plus 140 right now um if you go with his points you have jason tatum 30 plus points in boston to win that is plus 190 so again you know there's money to be made majorities if not all of these are all going to be plus money so you know, you start parlaying those, and it just becomes insane with the amount of uh, money you can make on those player performance doubles. So I get that Boston is the favorite, and I understand they're at home and all that, but, like, man, I, I think I've made it very clear to you how I feel about Giannis. Like, I almost don't think he can lose. Like, just at some point during the game, you're like, hey, you're Giannis. We're, we're going right. to give you the ball. <laughs> and when exactly. we do that, no one can do anything about it. There is nothing that can be done to stop that. So, for example, this one jumps off the page at me. Giannis making one three, and the Bucks to win. You can get that at three to one. Like yes, I, I. Uh, Why not throw money on it, man? <laughs> man, you're not asking for a lot there. Everything about that is pretty friggin' reasonable, man. Like oh, I agree a hundred percent. Even even with the uh, with his points, I mean. It's crazy. You have thirty plus points and, right. and Milwaukee to win. That's that's plus three forty. So. And, and I get it. Again, that's because the expectation is that Boston's going to win. They're not going to go down o two, and you know it, they're not going to lose back to back games at home. I understand why it is they're stacked that way, but like, dude, that guy is Giannis. 
Like, he's he's him. Nobody else has him. And it's what I'm terrified about as a Suns fan is that's the way that it goes. Leon Twyman is with us from the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and the Hotel. Leon, did you notice anybody making future – with the draft unfolding and, like, now this being sort of the final pieces, did you see folks coming in to make futures bets? Did you see any action on that after the weekend was over? So we, we got a couple. Um, we've been taking them pretty much since um, we opened. The draft hasn't exactly changed that just yet, uh, but I, I think once the schedule comes out and everyone sees who's playing who, I think we're going to start getting a lot of future bets at that I point. feel like I was, I was a little bit interested in whether or not we'd start seeing some action on the Eagles to win the NFC East after they acquired A.J. Brown, but I guess the problem there is that, like, you know, the Cowboys are just the team that everybody's going to, you know, bet on because Cowboys fans are cockroaches and they're everywhere. So it's it's hard to to move that number all that much because everybody's going to continue to bet on the Cowboys no matter what reality tells them to do. <laughs> I agree. And I, I'm one of yes, those I know you are. That's part of the reason why I bring it up, Leon. That's part of the case. Um I, I am I am interested in a couple of things. Like I am interested a little bit I, I've struggled with making I was just telling this to Aaron, I struggle with making player bets because it feels like what you're really betting in is does that player stay healthy for the course of the year and it's just a tough thing to to, to believe when it comes to NFL players that they're gonna that any individual guy is gonna stay healthy. But um, I do happen. I think I might throw a couple bucks on the Eagles next time I'm down there to win the NFC East. Not, not that I'm a huge Jalen Hurts believer, but man, you got you got Devonte Smith and AJ Brown to throw the football to, dude. You you either you're gonna be good or you can't play in this league, right? Like, right. <laughs> my God, man, this is the way that it goes. What else? What else have you noticed some action on um, as you get ready for the weekends? Uh, UFC 274. Um, taking a lot of action on it. it it drives so many people in um you know there's just a bunch of different ways that you can that you can make money on these fights uh there's no doubt and two uh, great title fights uh, on the women's side with rose namahuna not not ugh, easy for me to say rose namahunas and uh olivier gaith g and i probably i probably mispronouncing that and i know how to pronounce it on the men's side so two great fights coming up on saturday night for ufc 274 Reserve your spot for that right now by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. Make sure you guarantee your table or you guarantee your reclining chair, whatever it is that you're looking for, to hang out and watch the fights on Saturday night. And, Leon, did it, uh, you guys are going to show the uh, Javante Davis fight later on in the month, correct? We will, yes, and we're hoping that drives in a lot of people. Baltimore's own Javante Davis, looking forward to that. All right, my friend, uh, we will talk to you again next week. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. Hey, I appreciate it. Talk to you all soon. Leon Twyman, Assistant General Manager of the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, joining us here on Simply the Bets. All right. Um, just for those of you that might be interested, here's how the um, here's how the odds where they stack up after the draft is over. The Bills remain the favorite to win the Super Bowl at plus 650, Buccaneers plus 750, Chiefs plus 950, Rams 11 to 1, Packers 11 to 1, Chargers 16 to 1, the Ravens sit at 22 to 1, tied with the Bengals and Colts. Teams between them are the 49ers, Broncos, Cowboys and Browns. So that's where the odds 
stand after the NFL draft. Uh, Capital Series gets underway tonight. They're sitting at plus 260 to win the series. They are the best road team in the NHL. Just something to think about as that series gets underway this evening. Paul, you got a tidbit of the week for us? I do, I do. Um, So on Sunday, somebody uh, placed a three-leg parlay uh, on the Mets Phillies game. It was a ten dollar total wager at plus thirty two seven sixty nine. Three two seven six nine on Kyle Schwarber to hit two home runs, Bryce Harper to hit a home run, and Francisco Lindor to record a hit. They hit all three legs and they won three thousand. Give me the three. Give me the three legs one more time. Is Schwarber Schwarber two homers? Uh huh. Bryce Harper one home run. And Francisco Lindor to record it. Such a very specific bet, man. Like yeah. that's such a weird parlay to play. I mean, God bless. It worked out well $10 for him. Bet they what won a strange one hundred eighty-six dollars. What a strange parlay to play. I, I mean, I don't even know that I could ever, I, I could ever make a single bet. Like, I gotta think that's someone who's playing a crap ton of parlays mm-hmm. every day, because that's a very random parlay to just choose to play. Otherwise, I, I think any parlay that involves any player hitting two home runs. It's a weird parlay to play. I get it. That's how you're you're banking. I always think of Keanu Reeves in Hardball, just needing something to hit, and he he plays right. this crazy bet, and it and it hits, and he's like, yes. Well, that's that's sort of the 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 climax of um was the uncut gems, right? Like was the insane parlay that he played on Kevin Garnett that night and in the then playoff somebody game. Somebody dies. Well, I mean, in both movies. That's a good point. Yes, somebody dies. Well, multiple somebody's um, die. So, so don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving forward. Yikes! That was not a great advertisement. <laughs> Nobody's gonna die when you play your bet. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Not, not, not great. Not ideal. They're movies, folks. All right. Anyway, um, that's what you need to know this week as you get ready to get down. The FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel and make your bets. Thanks today to Aaron Oster. Thanks to Leon Twyman. We will see you on Thursday for the next edition of Weekend at Bookies as we'll get you ready for the betting weekend ahead. Uh, for, uh, for Paul and Cass, I'm Glenn. This has been Simply the Bets. May the odds be ever in your favor.